I missed you. I missed you too. It's been uh, two weeks, over two weeks, really. Yeah. Well, we're recording this on Halloween. So happy Halloween to all you who celebrate. Uh, I don't know if this is going up right after this or if it's going up tomorrow, but either way, uh, you know, be safe out there. Watch out for those razor blades and those candy bars and, uh, you know, enjoy your time. But I doubt anyone who listens to this even trick or treats. So I would actually be kind of alarmed if people who listen to this trick-or-treat but no it's been it's been over two weeks because last week uh in great taste by dan he didn't want to record an episode without me i mean that's just that's just dedication to your partner right there but uh no i was in texas last week having a good old time at a good old texas wedding i mean it wasn't really a texas wedding it was the one of the 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 Bride was vegan, so you know it wasn't it wasn't as Texan as as it could have been, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, Dan, you know, Dan, we got to catch up. I think before we even talk about anything else, was, you know, we, there's there's some life, there's some some changes in life for the last couple of weeks. Like a like we turned into a from a crystallized you know worm to a butterfly. I don't know how that works, but it it seems pretty. Uh, it seems pretty legit, right? That's a crystallized caterpillar. There you go. I haven't been in school in a really long time. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know whether to feel insulted by being called a crystallized worm. Or, uh, I, I guess a butter, I guess a butterfly is a good thing, so I'll take it. Yeah, up until um, the last couple of weeks, yeah. you were just a crystallized worm your entire life. Oh, so now, now you're so a butterfly. Now I'm not. Okay, all right, fine, <laughs> good enough. Um, yeah, I started on as a as a part time content producer at at Sporting News, um, great company that has a lot of very talented people working for it. So uh, I've been writing some, you know, some uh, content about the latest news and trending news in sports. And uh, it's been a good time. I've, I've been able to do uh, some live blogs of NFL games and, uh, you know, giving people live updates and following along with the action. So it's been a good time. It's thrown our, thrown our hours off a little bit here, our recording schedule, but um you know, here we are on Halloween. Happy Halloween to you. Happy Halloween to everybody else. Oh, thanks, Dan. And uh, yes, yes, I did not want to record without you last week. I think that would be a disservice to everybody to have me just speak into the void. I think this <laughs> podcast is, is supposed to be the back and forth between me and you. And so we're going to keep it that way. Listen, I just want to say that uh, I I did over 100 solo episodes in my my old in my old podcast, so I definitely know how it feels to speak into the void, and it is not as fun as speaking. Yeah, to I, I, that's not something I could do. I could never imagine that. So, credit to you for getting through that. I mean, there were times where I would just sit on at my like my chair and at my desk, and I would just stare into the sky because that was the only thing that was like I couldn't look around. Like, what am I looking at? So it was just it wasn't as fun as this. But uh, I, I appreciate you not doing that, even though. You know, you probably could have, and you probably could have done a better job than me, honestly. But uh, we uh, have something very exciting. I don't know if it's this week or next week. We have a guest coming on, which is very, very cool. I'll spill the beans now. We have a former special teams coordinator for the New York Jets and the Miami Dolphins. Mike Westoff will be joining us, which is really cool. Uh, someone really throughout the early 2000s and early 2010s was like the only good coach on the Jets coaching staff. So that's really, that's going to be exciting to, uh, 
to pick his brain and see what's going on. But I mean, if there's one thing that's a constant with the Jets, it's that they've had pretty good special teams coordinators for like the last 20 years. Brent Boyer is probably like the best special teams coordinator in the NFL, but as of right now. But anyway, other than that, you know, a few life updates before we get going. If you are listening to this on Monday, tomorrow I will be closing on my co-op. So that's very, very exciting. Yes, it's it's about time. My girlfriend yes. and I are very, very excited to just kind of get this process over with and uh, you know, start the next chapter, finally being happy with the co-op instead of loathing it as we've been <laughs> doing the last couple of weeks because of all the uh, the hurdles and, and the hoops that you have to jump through to get here. But we're very, very excited. So, And if you're listening to this on Tuesday, if we decide to put it up on Tuesday, it'll be today. <laughs> so, so last time we were celebrating your birthday. Yeah. And now we're celebrating you closing. I know this is I that's why I said the the milestones you yeah. you started a great job, you know, I'm I'm moving into my first uh place, you know, moving finally cutting the cord with my parents if you will. But I I bet I'll probably be at my parents' house more than I'll be at my co-op. <laughs> There's no shame now, in that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I gotta eat. I gotta eat it sometime. Right, right. right. So yeah. So who knows what what life updates we'll have in another week or two? I know. Yeah. I mean, this is just like full of it. We're we're just turning from crystallized worms into butterflies right in front of your right in front of your eyes. But I mean, there's so much that we have to talk about in terms of the sporting world. I think first and foremost, what we should talk about is, I mean, the the last time that we met, I don't even think that the championship series were decided yet. We were still talking about the Yankees um, potentially being in the championship series. So uh, I guess we can, we could voice our displeasure with the organization and stuff. If you don't remember, or if you don't follow baseball, the Yankees did advance to the championship series. They got swept by (laughs) the Houston Astros, uh, which was probably the most lopsided championship series I have ever seen, or at least in recent memory. And especially with the New York Yankees. I mean, you know, they always lose to the Astros, but at least it's with a fighting attitude. After game two, they kind of just rolled over and died in in, in this championship series. Yeah, I'm still thinking about there was a report that came out, I think from SNY, about um, Yankees players, multiple Yankees complained to their agents that it was especially tough playing in Yankee Stadium. Uh, in in the in the ALCS because of the fans booing, they were shocked that the fans booed Aaron Judge, which I personally I don't agree with, but they were shocked that the fans were were booing, you know, were were rude to them. I guess they got one hit in Game Three. What do they expect? Yeah. Do they do they really expect to be to be you know welcomed with praise when they're down 2-0 and they get one hit in Game Three when everybody's paying two hundred and fifty dollars or more to to be at that stadium watching them? Uh, you know, it's it's just it's so it's so I I don't want to say shocking because it's really not shocking, but it's kind of jarring that they they go through that they they have this big collapse in the postseason after such a great start to the regular season and their solution I know this isn't from the team directly but you know the team put it out there their solution is to blame the fans for the way yeah. they're treating them. Yeah, you know I I don't necessarily have a big problem. With fans booing players, uh, I, you know, and the reason why is because, you know, I hate to be this guy or sound like an old school baseball fan, but yes, Aaron Judge had probably the best season in American League history in terms of just all around hitting, right? Yes, I agree with that. But, you know, 
The playoffs are a different animal. We can't sit here and say, oh, well, you know, he's the biggest reason why we got here. So if he strikes out seven times in a row and bats 100 in the ALDS, it's okay. It's not okay. Do I agree with them necessarily, you know, really booing him? Not really. I don't really, but that's New York, man. That's New York. Like that's, that's how it is. That's how it's going to be. It's a, what have you done for me lately type of sports town. And, you know, Aaron Judge hit 62 home runs and almost won the batting title and basically almost won the triple crown. But that was already in the past. And I mean, don't even get me started on the rest of the on the rest of the the, the lineup. I mean, one one culprit that I just simply can't stand and I can't wait until his ass is out of New York is Josh Donaldson. I thought that that move from the beginning was stupid. I mean, and and he looked literally lost up at the plate. I don't remember. I think it was game one because Verlander pitched game one. Uh, there was, a, I think, his third at-bat. He already struck out twice up until this point. He looked at three pitches right down the middle. He didn't take the bat off his shoulder once, and that's just someone that – And then he complains looks, about them. Yeah. So legitimately the looks lost at, at, at the plate at all times throughout the entire season. He didn't have a great season with the, with the Yankees. I didn't really expect him to have a great season as a power-hitting third baseman at age 36. You know, I, I, I didn't really expect him to have a great year. What my one takeaway, I mean, I could sit here, Dan, and talk about this all day. I could, I could, I could voice all my discrepancies I have with this organization. Two things is you look around the MLB, you look at the teams that made it to the playoffs. This home run or bust thing, I've said it for years, I'll say it again. It does not work. You do not win championships at home run or bust. Look at, I mean, yeah, the Phillies are kind of an exception to the rule right now, but they're also a team that just got hot at the right time. But then again, in game one, the only run that came off of a home run was JT Romuto's home run in the 10th inning. They don't solely rely on the home run. They do hit a lot of home runs, but they don't solely rely on it. Same thing, Astros, besides for Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez, you don't have a lot of home run hitters in that roster. You know, the 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 Guardians had the 29th most home runs in the MLB, and they pushed the Yankees to the limit. You, you know, you look around, and it's like you can't be telling me that these analytics – are saying, yes, go out there and get those guys that hit 210, but they hit 30 home runs. It can't work like that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you're completely right that the, the Phillies, even though they hit a lot of home runs, they do a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. The home runs are kind of are kind of now they've scored a lot of runs this October, and a lot of a lot of them have had nothing to do with home runs. The home runs that they hit are memorable. We the Reese Hoskins bat spike, the, oh, the Bryce Harper home run that put them at, in front in game five of the NLCS. But they're kind of strung between timely hits. The Yankees do not get timely hits. In fact, they really don't get any hits if you look at game three <laughs> when they have one hit. Uh, you, know, you have to do a little bit of both. You have to have timely hitting, and you need to, you need to hit some home runs. And So the Guardians had timely hitting, but they didn't hit home runs. So it didn't, it didn't get them far enough. The Yankees hit home runs, well, not, not enough in October, but they did not have timely hitting. The Phillies do both. The Astros do both. And that's why they're here. You know, I understand like, okay, the Phillies didn't do both all season. They got hot in October. But does anybody really think the Yankees lineup is going to suddenly turn into that that dual threat where they're hitting home runs, but they're also making contact in October? That, that was never going to happen. So, yeah, I mean, so, you know, even though the Phillies won 87 games, they feel like a team that deserves to be there over yeah. the Yankees. The Astros, of course, definitely feel like they, they proved it, that they deserve to be there over the Yankees. So, you know, even though the – the Yankees are disappointing to all of us. You can't really feel like, oh, they should have been there. They 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 deserve their fate, and now they have to they have to 
recalibrate in the offseason and try to get that roster right. And, you know, the, yeah. the rhetoric that you kind of hear from the team and from the front office doesn't sound great. You know, if, it's only reports, but okay, they're not going after the free agent shortstops, which there are a lot of them, just like last year. That could help us. Um, you know, they're they're hoping to, to bring back Aaron Judge, but you're, you know, you're hearing that players are unhappy with the with the fans and that apparently the Giants won't be outbid for Aaron Judge. Um, don't really hear a lot of reports about other guys that the Yankees are going to be targeting. It doesn't sound like a totally promising offseason, but, you know, uh, we'll give it time to, to play itself out. I won't judge yet. Yeah. I mean, but but what you're saying is is completely accurate. And it seems kind of more like a, a doom and despair than a hope. I mean, yeah. You can't go into this offseason feeling good if you're a Yankee fan because it just showed you how much more work the Yankees need to do to get even on the Astros level. You know, I mean, like they were just completely outclassed. And you think that every time that they make a step in improvement, they face the Astros and they lose. And you're like, wow, well, this is the class of the American League. This is this is the standard. And the Yankees don't even come close to that standard right now. And and like you said, I mean. I'm very worried about the, the San Francisco Giants outbidding the Yankees because we've seen it before. Hal Steinberger has a real problem with opening up that checkbook as much as he needs to. I mean, I'm sure George Steinbrenner is rolling over in his grave like 10 times over at, at what has happened to the Yankees the last few years, getting so close and then just not being not being willing to take that team over the hump. I mean, look at the Dodgers. We're already hearing reports that the Dodgers are going to pursue Aaron Judge. They're going to pursue Carlos Correa. Like, this is a team that has, like, a, an absolutely absurd payroll already, and they're just willing to spend, spend, spend to to make it over the hump. I mean, winning 111 games and only winning one game in the playoffs is, is, is kind of is, is a little bit more disappointing than what the Yankees did. But regardless, they're still willing to spend and get better. Uh, you know, another thing too, I mean, bringing back the entire front office for the Yankees has to be disappointing. I mean, we, as fans, I don't feel like we're being heard. And, and I'm not saying that, I mean, from a win-loss standpoint, Aaron Boone is not a bad manager by any by any means. But we've seen time and time again, when the front office finally lets him make a managerial decision, he consistently makes the wrong decision for the most part. And, you know, I think Cashman has overstayed his welcome, to be honest with you. I mean, he won... Yeah, he won five World Series, four of them basically in his first, what, like it's his first five years, he won four of them for the most part. But at the same time, he also inherited a very, very good roster at that point. And, and you know, I continue to bash Brian Cashman every single year, but then he'll make a trade or he'll make a signing like a Matt Carpenter signing that just turns out to be gold. And then you're like, oh, well, this is why he's still around. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, I guess we can't really blame Brian Cashman because he's hampered by Hal Steinbrenner for the most part, because, you know, if, if you're not given the full arsenal to go out and do your job, you can only do it to the best of your ability. And I mean, there's few that are better than Brian Cashman, but I just feel like it's getting the, the, the narrative is getting a little stale, you know, in, in New York right now. Yeah. I mean, th that's kind of what keeps him around. I think it's like the Matt Carpenters of the world that he brings in, um, you know, Clay Holmes to, these guys that nobody really expects to succeed and, and he, he finds them and turns them into big pieces. But you know, when it comes to making big deals, like trading for Donaldson and, and IKF, you know, that was a miss. You have to, you have to hit on those deals too. You can't just win. The Dodgers do both, even though yeah, we know that they they have postseason issues too, uh, but they won 111 games and they do both. They find the gems and they also hit on the stars. They, they spend money 
they make the right moves. You know, they're not they're not signing guys like when the Angels sign Albert Pujols. Like they, you know, they bring in Trey Turner, he's great. They bring in Mookie Betts, he's great. They get the right stars in there. The Yankees don't do that, so they've got they've got a lot of issues to work out in the off season. Uh, let me ask you: as of recording this, the Astros and Phillies are tied at one in the series. Do you have a? Can we get a prediction out of you? I'm going to say it's the Phillies in six, and uh, the reason why is. They already stole home field advantage the first two games from the Astros. I mean, and especially the way that the Astros lost game one too, being up five nothing, losing six five in extra innings, pretty crushing. But then again, you look and see how of a well oiled machine the Astros are as a team, and that could have easily crushed a, a lesser team. But they came back, and Framber Valdez is is not only one of the best young pitchers in baseball, one of the most calm pitchers in baseball. I, I mean, the guy just like it looks like he just doesn't even care. <laughs> He's just out there, just yeah. you know, just dominating every start. But uh, I, I think going back to Philly is an experience that the Astros haven't faced in any playoff scenario at all. This is a rabid fan base that could be winning the World Series or the Super Bowl or the Stanley Cup. NBA championship, whatever it may be, every single year. And they're going to be just as rabid as before. And this is, you know, a Phillies fan base that's been starving for something positive for years now. And this is as positive as it gets. And now you go into Citizens Bank Park 1-1. It's going to be, I mean, they're here for the next three games. Mm -hmm. There's a very real possibility that the Phillies went out and win in Philadelphia. But I don't think, I think that the Astros are a better team than that. I think they will take one game away and then lose again in Houston like last year. Well, you know, we haven't had a, a team win the World Series at home. Yeah, since, in since years. 2013. So it yeah. almost feels like we're destined to, to continue to have that trend. So maybe the Phillies will win in Houston. And my prediction was the same as yours before the, the series. And it still is. No reason to change it. The Phillies in six. I just... It's more than just momentum. It reminds me of the Nationals and Braves who, you know, they had the momentum, but they also had an extremely talented roster that, you know, one of those rosters where you felt like, hey, they should be winning more games. And by the time they got to October, they started winning those games. The Phillies look like they belong here. They don't look like they, they're just a team that got hot, even though that's what they are. They've got the talent. Um, and yeah, so they don't have Aaron Nola or Zach Wheeler on the mound the next two games, but they do have that home field advantage. They haven't been beaten yet at Citizens Bank Park in the postseason. That doesn't mean they can't be beaten. You know, the Astros hadn't been beaten either in the, at all in the postseason before the mm -hmm. Phillies beat them. Uh, but I do think they could take two out of three at home uh, and bring it back to Houston with all the pressure on the Astros where we've seen them lose before in Houston. They were eliminated there in 2021. They were eliminated there uh, in in 2019. So. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm not concerned about the Phillies having to go back to Houston if that's what happens. I would be concerned, though, about if they go down 3-2 and Framber Valdez is on the mound for game six because, like you said, I, I think he's the ace of the staff right now. He, he, he almost can't be beaten. He's the best ground ball pitcher in baseball. I think he allowed 11 home runs in 200 mm -hmm. innings this year, which is just oh ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, you know, you, you, you have to win two out of three, it feels like, because if you go up against Framber Valdez in what could be an elimination game. Yeah, not it's looking a good. Tough road, but Especially I, with the I fruit like swingers that the Phillies have. You know? What'd you say? I said especially with the free swingers that the Phillies have. I mean, you look yeah. at oh, yeah. you know, Castellanos, there is an unlimited rate. There is an unlimited zone for Castellanos. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you need to have, like, Zach Wheeler go out there and match him, which, yeah. which he didn't do. 
He didn't do it in game two. Um, he settled in after the beginning of the game where he gave up three doubles in a row. But but um, it, it, I, that's a disadvantage for them. But look, they have, they have I think, Noah Syndergaard game three, Rangers Suarez game four. Um, both of them have had their moments in the postseason, good moments and bad moments. They're not they're not locks, but Ranger Suarez got the final out of the the NLCS. <laughs> he performed well in the in the NLCS. You know, for anybody who's not for anybody who's not seeing this, we just had a dog pop onto the screen. <laughs> She's a good girl. I feel like I should mention that. <laughs> but let me ask you a question. You asked me one. I have actually have two questions for you. So, one being now. Obviously, the Astros won the World Series in 2017, but a lot of people, especially salty Yankee fans, uh, have an asterisk next to it, right? So a lot of people say, oh, maybe they wouldn't have won if they cheated. So the Astros lose in 2019 at home. The Astros lose in 2021 at home in the World Series. So if they lose again in 2022 at home, what do we make of this team? Because then that's three straight World Series that they lost at home. It seems like the Buffalo bit, like the 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 '80s Buffalo Bills of of the MLB, a great team that could oh, had, never has a problem making the World Series, but just can't get the job done. So, what would you think would be a counter to that? Like, are are they going to start spending more money? Are they going to make a change at manager? Because now that would mean that Dusty Baker lost two World Series in a row at home. What do you think would be done? Or do you think they just kind of they just kind of keep it the same? I mean, what they've done for the last six years is they've lost guys and they don't go out and and spend big money to replace them. Um, And I feel like that, well, because of that and because of the success they've had uh, following that method, even though they're not, you know, in that scenario, they're not winning championships. I feel like they've stick by it. But um, there there have been a couple reports about the the GM, the GM who replaced Jeff Luno when, uh, when the scandal went down, James Click. I've done a great job, like really great job. Yeah. Apparently there's there's tension between him and the owner. Um, and they may look to make a change. Now, if you win the World Series, I, I don't know how you make a GM change. Yeah. If you lose for a third time in, in, in four years, I guess you have an excuse to make it. And if you bring in a new GM, maybe you know you have a whole new philosophy. I I understand it takes the ownership to be able to spend money. You know, but maybe with a new GM in place, you have a new philosophy where we're gonna go out. Uh, we've established ourselves as the force of the American League. We're one of the most prominent teams in baseball. We're going to use our status, spend a little more money, and go out and get those extra pieces, especially with Verlander. Well, they have to sign Verlander too, but with him turning 40, you know, and some of those guys with injury concerns like Lance McCullers, um, and, you know, the Altuve's of the world getting older, Gurriel's like 37 or 38. Yeah. Maybe they do decide that we're going to make a change in the front office and we're going to change our philosophy and go out and get reinforcements because whatever we have, uh, is close to enough, but just not enough. But you know the the way things have trended, they lost two World Series and they didn't change anything. They they yeah. they tried to even with Carlos Correa's kind of depressed market uh, after the lockout, they still didn't bring him back. Even though they were in contention to bring him back, they didn't go the extra mile and bring him back. They said we're gonna we're gonna stick with Jeremy Pena and see what he can do. It's paid off. So I, it's almost like I'll believe it when I see it that they go out and make aggressive moves besides bring back their own which they're mm. going to have to do with Verlander. But, um, you know, you never know. I mean, losing three World Series in four years would hurt. Yeah, like, it, it raises some standard. questions, you know? Yeah. It raises questions for sure, especially um, at home. That would be a stain on the on the franchise, just as much as a scandal is. How do you lose – you know, it's not that they just lost 
and I don't want to say that they could win three in a row after this. I don't want to make a big deal out of this before it happens because we'll have plenty of time to talk about it if it does. But if, if you – it's not just losing three World Series in four years. It would be losing three as the favorite. Mm-hmm. They have a 19-win advantage here. They had um, – they had like something like 15 wins over the Braves or something like that, and they were favored by a little bit. Um, and they were clear favorites over the Nationals, and they had a 3-2 series lead going home. They literally had two games to close it out at home, and they couldn't do it. That's the issue. It's not like, well, you know, they, they, it happens. They, they just weren't the better team. No, they, they were the better team every time, and they, they couldn't do it. So if they lose three like that, and then their one win is the, you know, the cheating season, which I think is a real championship. But, of course, there's going to be – I think so. I think so, too, yeah. You still have but to if, physically yeah. score but the run. But, you know, of course, <laughs> they can't really hang their hat on that when they've, they've been to three more World Series and couldn't close the deal. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be, if that's the case, a stain on the organization, just as bad as that scandal. But, um, like I said, we'll come back to that because yeah. they could just go on and win three of in a row course. and prove everybody wrong and finish the postseason with only one loss, which to, which would be an incredible accomplishment. Now, before we move on to football, I do have one more question. I feel like this this begs the question. Like this 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 is a question begging to be asked because. Since they both came up, we've constantly been comparing Mike Trout and Bryce Harper. Now, you know, if you look on paper, Mike Trout has had a better career statistically and accolade-wise than Bryce Harper. But if Bryce Harper goes on to win the World Series, already has two two MVPs under his belt already, you know, I who who do you think is more I don't know how I want to ask this because obviously if I just ask you straight up, like who's better, Bryce Harper or Mike Trout? When healthy, I'm still going with Mike Trout. But I I mean, he's got to be the better – I think he's the better all-around baseball player, I mean Bryce Harper. And the reason why I say that is because he means – I feel like he means so much more to a team. He is a true MVP to me because, you know, now we're, we're factoring in postseason success – you know, if they win the World Series, he he's like the lifeblood of an organization. And Mike Trout's just not that guy to me. I mean, when you look at the lifeblood of an organization for the Los Angeles Angels, the last couple of years, it's been Shohei Otani because that's the guy that gets the crowd going. You know what I'm saying? Mike Trout it just feels like a sidekick, honestly, like a, a, an amazing sidekick. But, you know, a sidekick. Bryce Harper is that superhero. He's that guy that gets people going. You know, that that passion, that emotion, like if Mike Trout hit that home run in the eighth inning in the NLCS, like he probably just would have you know, placed the bat down, trotted around those bases, you know, yes. But Bryce Harper had that emotion. You know, he 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 brought the crowd to their feet. I think he means more to a baseball team than Mike Trout does. I, I want to kind of get your opinion on this. Yeah, I think Bryce Harper is an entertainer and Mike Trout's a baseball player. Now, the the, the, the caveat to that is Bryce Harper also plays baseball very, very well. Uh, so he he's actually both. He's a baseball player and an entertainer. Um, but yeah, he injects life into a team um, in a way that it doesn't look like Mike Trout really can. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you brought this up, I'm thinking you're going to ask, you know, whose career would you rather have? If Bryce Harper wins the World Series. I'd um, rather have Bryce Harper. Yeah. And the answer is <laughs> probably Bryce Harper if he if he wins the World Series. You know, two whole, uh, two MVPs. Um, I, I think Trout's got, got three, right? Am I getting that wrong? I, I think, think he's he, got three, and then 14, he has like four second-place finishes or yeah, something. Yeah, 14, crazy like 16, that. and 19, I think he was he was an MVP. 
Um, you know, if I had to debate that too, I think injuries would be a factor. I mean, Bryce Harper's well, had both a couple injuries. Too. They're both, they both had to come with their fair share of injuries. Yeah. Bryce Harper's had a couple, but he, he has not been bogged down for multiple seasons like Mike Trout has the last two yeah. years. But at the same time, you know, when I'm thinking about this in my head, I remember Mike Trout hit, you know, there were concerns about his back this year and that, you know, he might not be the same again. The back injury yeah, might be out and hit 40 home runs. <laughs> something he had to work through the rest of his career. He hit 40 home runs while missing 45 games. He, he, he literally played like under 120 games and he hit 40 home runs. And half of them were like after that injury. When they yeah. all, he might have to play through this back injury for the rest of his career. I'd like to see him without the back injury. So Mike Trout has a way of like when you're doubting him, he just he starts coming through again. Like when you when you think it's over or when you think somebody might be better than him, he starts hitting out of his mind again. So, you know, it, it's hard for me to really doubt Mike Trout. Uh, but, yeah, there's no doubt that that Bryce Harper plays with more emotion than him. And maybe that makes a difference in this case. Um, you know, though, though the Phillies, I have to say the Phillies did a lot of winning without him this year. Uh, but yeah. you know, credit to Rob Thompson and credit to that whole group for that. But they, they not only did they stay afloat without him, they, they pulled into a postseason spot after his injury. So, you know, it's not like the team uh, died without on him. him and they can't do anything without him. Uh, but in the postseason, it feels like they may not be in this position if they didn't have him. And, uh, you know, we just haven't seen Mike Trout on that stage yet. We saw him play, what, three postseason games in 2014. We just haven't yeah. seen him there. See, that's what I'm saying, though. It's like <sighs> – you know, if you're supposed to be the biggest and best star in baseball, and now you have another biggest and best star in baseball next to you, you should be winning more than they are. I mean, they're a consistent disappointment every year. And it's not like they're, oh, we just missed out on the playoffs. It's like you're like 20 games away yeah, from they're bad. They're, they're bad. bad. Every year. They're a bad team. Like, and, you know, at, at the I've said it from – when the angels went out and spent all that money on Albert Pujols and it was abundantly clear that they just were just cared about bringing in the biggest and best names, star power, regardless of age and all that kind of stuff. Mike Trout's going to be the best player ever to never win a world series. And I, I still stand by that. And I, you know, I, I think it's his passive nature that kind of is also like that. If I, dude, if I was the best player in baseball and we were losing as much as we are, I'd be, I'd march right into Art Moreno's office and be like, "Listen, dude, you either get me a star, get, get get me some pitching, get me a star, give me something that'll take this team over the top and make the playoffs, or trade me, get me out of here." You know what I'm yeah. saying? I feel like I feel like Mike Trout needs that kind of thing where it's like, you know, you know, he kind of like makes has like a heel turn where it's like, you know what? I'm not the Mr. Nice Guy anymore. I want to be like Bryce Harper. I want to go to a division rival and make $335 million, and I don't care about it. And now, look, it's paying off for Bryce Harper. I just thought it was a fun thing to bring up because, I mean, uh, five years ago, we were comparing Mike Trout and, and Bryce Harper, and it wasn't even a comparison. It was like, oh, man, Mike Trout's a, amazing. Bryce Harper's a bust compared to Mike Trout. And now it's like, well, I don't know about that. You know, like, it, it it's pretty comparable, and I think, I think if we were comparing careers, who'd you rather have? If the Phillies win the World Series, I'd rather have Bryce Harper's career. Yeah, and if he had stayed healthy for – well, it's not even his fault. I think he got hit, I think he got hit by a pitch or he fell yeah. a pitch off himself. Yeah. If he had stayed healthy for those two months, we might be looking at three MVPs for Harper to match yeah. Trout. He looked like he was on track to, to pull either – you know, toward the top of the MVP race or in front of the MVP race. He was having a better year at that point this year than last year. Yeah. And so, you know, 
Paul Goldschmidt at that point was way ahead of everybody, but Goldschmidt kind of tailed off toward the end of the year. And you'd have to think if Bryce Harper kept that momentum going, he probably could have pulled ahead of him. I think Goldschmidt's going to win it uh, regardless now. But yeah, this conversation would be even more different if we were talking about, hey, they both have three MVPs. I mean, that would be a, a game changer. Yeah. So, could happen. Sure. It could happen, the next, you know, one of the next few years. He just turned 30. So Harper's got some time left to win another. Definitely. Now, kind of shifting focus to, you know, I've got to be honest with you, Dan. I'm really disappointed in you. I'm looking at I'm looking at the the Pickham group last week, and I'm like, where is Dan? I'm like I'm like looking at it. I'm like, wow, he really had a terrible week. I'm like, this is great. And then I look, I'm like, wait, why do I have so many more games played than he does? And I'm like, oh, that's that's when I texted you. I said, you forgot to play, didn't you? And you were like, uh oh. Well, <laughs> you can find my picks exclusively on Instagram for uh for week. What is that? Week seven back there. Yeah, yeah. I you mean, can I, find my exclusive picks on Instagram for week seven. It was really all just a plug to get people to go to Instagram. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that was uh, an unfortunate development. But uh, so what did you go last week? Say that again. What was your record last week? Ooh, what was it like? I think I I texted you. Well, I could just I could just pull it up, but I think it was it was it was pretty good. It was like how many games were there? Fourteen. It was fourteen. I want, games. So I want to say ten and four, but I will get a live check on that. Uh, what day are we at? We're on October thirty first. Okay, I got it here. So, um, well, listen, we we weren't here, so I'll I'll give the rundown to everybody. Um, Cardinals over Saints, I got that one and zero. Uh, Bengals over Falcons, 2-0. Cowboys over Lions, uh, 3-0. Colts over Titans. Yeah, that was that was a miss. Two and one, uh, three and one. Packers over Commanders, three and two. Buccaneers over Panthers, three and three. You know, that was the week that Rodgers and Brady both ended up losing to terrible teams. Um, Giants over Jaguars, four and three. I got that. Ravens over Browns, five and three. Jets over Broncos, six and three. Raiders over Texans seven and three. We're on a good. We're on a good stretch now. Seahawks yeah, yeah, good stretch, good stretch. Seahawks over Chargers eight and three. Chiefs over 49ers, nine and three. Uh, Dolphins over Steelers ten and three. But then the Patriots let me down. I know. I'm sure you picked the Patriots too. Of course. Patriots over Bears uh, was a loss ten to four. Yeah, just to uh, ten and four. So you were ten and four. I was ten and four as well. And I think we had every single game exactly the same. Cardinals. Bengals, Titans, I missed on the Packers, missed on the Bucks. I had the Giants, I had the Ravens, Cowboys, the Jets, the Raiders, I missed on the Chargers, Chiefs, Dolphins, and then I missed on the Patriots. So, so I had the Seahawks over the Chargers. So which one did we have different? Did you have the Titans or the Colts? I had the Titans. There we go. All right. That's, so we both end up 10 and 4. That was the last minute change, too. At like, at like 12.58, I was like, you know what? The Colts aren't going to win. I think we've done that a few times with the Colts here. Actually, I, I did that. Um, I also did that this week with a couple teams, and it actually came back to uh, bite me in the butt on a couple of them. But I, <laughs> as we as we go down uh, the list, I am currently ten and four this period uh, with one game left. Uh, tonight's game, the Monday Night Football game between the Browns and the Bengals. I'm currently in first place in the 97th percentile in ESPN. So thank you guys very much for that. Um, and Dan would actually be way better than me, honestly. I think Dan would have like four games above me at this point. But uh, we're going to come back to that at the end of the season, and we'll see. I'm not going to add it in now. I'm pretty sure you'd be like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you'd be like top like 
one person, like you'd be in like the 99th percentile or something. But since it's not on paper, we're not going to talk about it. Sure. Um, first game up this week was the Baltimore Ravens and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'm just going to go out there and say, I was not fooled. There was no way that I was going to pick the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in this one. I mean, now is a different story. Now that the divorce is finally out there, They're not I, think lose. Tom, I think Tom Brady's going to come back and play the best football of his career. Uh, but, but this was pre, but this was pre-divorce um, Tom Brady. And honestly, I mean, he didn't really play bad. Like, I think this year we're not seeing Bra- like the Brady and we're seeing like a, like a slight regression. I mean, his team isn't really helping him, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, you know, not at all. yeah. I mean, he's fooling people a little bit though because he makes some great throws. Like we saw a great throw to Mike Evans um, when Evans is covered by like three guys along the sideline. I mean, he can still do that, but he also overthrew Evans twice in the end zone uh, early in the game. I think it was. I think they were both in the first quarter. Like really overshot Evans uh, when when he was pretty wide open in the end zone. So. He can still make those throws, but he's not making them consistently. And that's a problem when, you've, when you're not getting really any help. I mean, Mike Evans is still tremendous, uh, but the offensive line doesn't give him much time. He doesn't have a lot of other weapons. So they're, they're kind of he, – he's, he's, he's no longer the type of player that can push them over their, their issues. You know, he's kind of being overcome by the issues around him. You know <laughs> – Another thing, too, I said it at the beginning of the year when we started this, and I said, I don't know how much of an impact missing Ryan Jensen is going to have. And it is, it's proving to be a, a monumental miss for the, for the Buccaneers. I mean, you know, there, there's a reason why he was a pro bowler. And, you know, you know, yeah, he commits a lot of penalties and all that, and he constantly gets into fights with his long orange hair. But... He really makes a huge impact. And we're seeing, I mean, Luke Godecki is just not what Brian Jensen is. And we're really, really seeing that. And I think that's a big thing with it. I mean, a, a big thing with how well Brady has performed the last couple of years in Tampa Bay was how rock solid his offensive line was, how it was consistently like a top five unit. It's got to be like a bottom 10 unit at this point. I don't have the numbers on it, but I mean, he's got to be facing the most pressure he's ever faced in, in his career up until this point. It's, yeah. he, he's getting he's consistently under pressure but, and uh you know at 45 years old i don't care who you are it's it's gonna get to you yeah i mean he um he he had some some moments with the patriots where he didn't have great protection i remember in 2015 they started like 9-0 and or something like that maybe 10-0 and, and then they had a, a few offensive line injuries and the whole thing broke down you know that's the year he got literally harassed by von miller in the <laughs> in the afc championship game um so usually uh pressuring Brady is the way to beat him. I mean, really, it's the way to beat any quarterback, but that's like yeah. the one way you beat Brady. Um, and But, you know, to the Ravens, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know if you could say it's to the Ravens' credit because I'm giving them credit for something they didn't do. But they beat him without really pressuring him too much. You know, they, they sacked him, I think, maybe two or three times. Justin Houston got to him. I'm back to that three, three sacks. Justin yeah. Houston had two and uh... – and Mendo BK had one. Yeah, that's right. So, so, so Houston had him on back-to-back plays, and that was big. That blew up a drive. For that, they were actually looking pretty good. Other than that, though, the offensive line wasn't awful. It was not great, but it wasn't awful. You kind of just you kind of have to blame it on on a little bit of everything offensively and the defense. The defense now that they don't have Shaq Barrett going forward, which is a, a big problem. Yeah, 
But the Ravens did not have, and I'm going to transition into saying, I think this might have been the best game the Ravens played this year. They did not have uh, Mark Andrews most of the game. He left with a shoulder injury. They did not Bateman. have Rashad Bateman. Um, yeah. And they lost Gus Edwards in the second half and kept it moving. And yet, even after a slow start, that offense was moving so methodically. It was it was almost kind of kind of perfect. There were no no huge plays besides I think one twenty five yard run from Jackson, um, and the touchdown by Devin Duvernay. Uh, no huge plays, but they just they moved down the field so methodically. They wore down the Buccaneers defense. They just kind of ran the ball down their throat when they lost Gus Edwards. They brought in Kenyon Drake and he ran it well. Lamar Jackson ran yeah. it a little bit. They threw the ball well to uh, to Isaiah Likely to Duvernay. It kind of makes me feel like when they get Andrews healthy. When they get Bateman healthy, when you know, Jake, if J.K. Dobbins is able to come back and play alongside Gus Edwards, they they might be that number three team in the AFC, yeah, uh, behind the the Bills and Chiefs because they they look like a legitimate contender in this game. I know the Bucks haven't been great, but the Bucks defense has been fine, and they just wore them down even though they were missing so many guys. So I, I give the Ravens a lot of credit for the way they played in this game. I think it's a good sign of things to come, and that's two weeks in a row that they had a lead in the second half and they didn't blow it. Yeah. We know that was their issue earlier in the year. They this time they held on to a lead. You know, I, I I mean, you look at these numbers for Lamar Jackson, right? Two thirty-eight, two touchdowns, one hundred four rating, and he had forty-three yards on the ground. I'm going to go out there and say that this was Lamar Jackson's best game of the season, and the reason why is because he lost two huge weapons very early on, like you said, and he found Isaiah Likely, who's actually turning out to be a very very nice mid-round pick for the He's Baltimore good. Ravens. He's been very, very good so far. And I kind of didn't like that pick either. I was like, well, you have a star tight end to Mark Andrews. And, you know, they had guys behind him too. I'm like, well, why, why are you taking him? But proven to be a very, very good weapon and a, a decent blocker as well. But, I mean, if this wasn't the game where you go, okay, the Ravens have to pay Lamar Jackson, then I don't know what is. Because, you know, like you said, he lost Gus Edwards. He lost Bateman. He lost Andrews. And they didn't panic the, the get credit to who was calling plays, 33 rushes, 231 yards, seven yards a clip against this this Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense is really, really good. I mean, they even got Justice Hill in there for four carries and, and 28 yards. So you know that they were running well if, if, <laughs> if he's running well. But, you know, and he found guys too. You know, Demarcus Robinson was a big was a big target in this one too, six catches, 64 yards. Lamar Jackson just found people that were open. And I know that's that's a very vague statement, but – it didn't matter who the player was. He was hitting open receivers against a tough defense as well. And and like you said, it it was pretty methodical too. I the, the game plan was great. Lamar Jackson was great. He's been very, very good this year. And I think that, you know, this is the time where we go, all right, it's time for him to get paid because – I actually put that as my uh, on my story on Instagram, and when my cousin said, "You know, what are we going to pay him? Why are you going to pay him?" and I said, "There are quarterbacks that are getting paid two hundred plus million dollars that Lamar Jackson runs circles around." Yeah, and we know that for a fact. And it's about time that this man gets his money. And if he's not going to get it, the New York Giants are going to pay him his money in the off season. So, um, yeah, I, I think that this was his best game, just purely from a, you know, he, he didn't turn the ball over. He Faced a lot of adversity on the offensive side, and I, I think that they had a great game plan against Tampa Bay. So I, I had I had the Ravens. Did you have the Ravens as well? I did have the Ravens. Yeah, I was uh, not fooled by Tampa. Now this is this is this is something that I'm excited about. The 
London game, which was inexplicably not on TV. Only if you had ESPN Plus, you were able to watch it. I don't know why the NFL does that. It's 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 so stupid because you know for a fact that it doesn't matter who is on. You could be playing the 1976-0-14 Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the 2008-0-16 Lions, and it's going to get numbers because people love watching football at 930 in the morning. Yeah. And it just that just wasn't the case. I don't know what they're going to do with that. It's a different discussion. But, you know, uh, a meeting of two, two and five teams between the disappointing Denver Broncos and the slightly surprising but yet still disappointing Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, I'm going to go out and say it that I I picked the Denver Broncos from the moment that I saw this game here. I was like, there's no way that the Jacksonville Jaguars are beating them. Uh, I'm just. I had this discussion with my friend yesterday. He's a big Trevor Lawrence guy. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is never going to be the generational player we think he's going to be. And the reason why is because he turns the ball over way too many times. Even in good games, he still has that like slap your face moment where it's like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that, Trevor? He, what do you have, two picks in this game? Yeah. Crucial interception. A costly one. Crucial interceptions as well. Um, one in the end. I mean, great play by by um, Justin Simmons, though. That was like the reaction time on that was like second to none. He zipped that ball in there, and he just jumped up out of nowhere and intercepted it. But um, for as good as the Jacksonville Jaguars started off, that's how disappointing they've been since. And uh, on the Denver Broncos side, it's still disappointing. They only put up 21 points. They haven't put up more than 23 points in a game this season which is incredibly disappointing when you're paying Russell Wilson $250 million. Uh, he also makes $962,000 every three days, by the way. I just want you to know that. Uh, I saw a TikTok about nice. that today. What would you say? Must be nice. Yeah, right? It must be nice to go out there and play mediocre football and make more money in three days than any average American will ever see in their lifetime. But, um, yeah, just a, just a, it was, this was like a Super Bowl of disappointment, I feel like, this game where both teams should be better at this point. Well, somebody had to win. It was one of those games, but um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily an ugly game, even though there were ugly parts to it. Um, and you know, you said they only scored 21 points. Well, the league average coming into yesterday was 21.7 average for the Broncos would be like a huge step up from everything that they've had uh, early this season. I'll, I'll give them 21 points. That's good for them. Um, especially scoring three touchdowns. Uh, I think before I mention anything else, Greg Dulcich, the rookie tight end from, from UCLA, looks like he's changing that offense. He's given Russell Wilson a whole new target. Uh, that looks like it's kind of kind of helping the passing game actually get over its issues. So that's going to be something to watch going forward. But, yeah, I'm, I'm out of this game, I'm more disappointed with the Jaguars because it felt to me like they were close. Like they, they almost beat the Colts. They had a great offensive performance against the Colts, and they, uh, the, the defense just kind of cratered. Um, and then against the Giants, they had some defensive issues, but they were literally a yard away from winning that game at the end. It, the, the, the offense looked good. Travis Etienne looked good. Um, and then again this week, they were very close, and they just couldn't do it. Travis Etienne looked terrific. I think he has something close to 120 yards on the ground, very efficient. Six uh, yards on the ground, actually. Yeah. Okay. So he, he I mean, he yeah, had he, a, a phenomenal week, um, but Trevor Lawrence did not. And it, it feels like he has to be better. The defense has to be better, too. You, you know, you can't be letting the Broncos have their best offensive day of the year 
where they come out with 325 yards, which, you know, for most teams isn't crazy, but for them, it's a big deal. Uh, that's three straight weeks where the the, tech, the Jaguars' defense does not look great. And when you don't have the defense working or the quarterback playing efficiently, the, the, you know, the successful running game doesn't really matter. Yeah. So that's their issue right now. They're kind of done at two and six. I mean, I don't think we really see like a big run coming out of the Jaguars. Uh, and it's really disappointing because we both kind of agree that they were actual contenders in what looked like a terrible AFC South earlier in the year. Um, and they played their way out of it. They're like three and a half back of the Titans now. They don't look like they're going to compete for a wild card spot. So, you know, it, I mean, nine games left, but it looks like the, the book's kind of been written on Jacksonville. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that you could really look for at this point in the season for them is just positives to take. You know, Trevor Lawrence has to take another step forward. He's got to stop turning the ball over. Uh, I also feel bad for Trevor Lawrence as well because – He's the type of guy, I mean, with that generational tag that he had on him throughout his entire college career, you know, if he's nothing short of all pro or a pro bowler every single year, I feel like it's just going to be a disappointment. So I feel like that that's something that weighs heavy on any player. So I kind of feel for him there, but he definitely has to be better. Um, like you said, it wasn't necessarily an ugly game, but there were a lot of ugly plays. Um Dolchich is like the only bright spot right now. And Judy actually had a pretty decent game for the yeah. for the Broncos as well. But uh, I did pick the Denver Broncos in this one. And uh, Dan Tracy not. went down with the ship. Yes. The Jacksonville yeah, Jaguars. The Jaguars were really close to getting it. They're still, they're still trying to figure it out. <laughs> Maybe next week. Maybe I next know. week. I don't know who they play. Moving on, the next game, the first place Atlanta Falcons. And the Carolina Panthers. Now, this is the, this was the game of the year so far. Yeah, and, uh, and it's it's uh, always the teams that you never expect are gonna. It's gonna be the game yeah. of the year. PJ Walker made probably the, and I tweeted it. I said that that was probably the best, one of the best throws I've ever seen in my life. I mean, to hit it was it traveled. I think Statcast said it traveled like sixty-seven yards in the air. On a dime, he couldn't have walked that ball over to DJ, DJ Moore any better. An absolutely thrilling play. And I mean, this script is going exactly how we thought for the Panthers. We knew that Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold were going to be, you know, not as good as P.J. Walker. <laughs> it's, that's exactly how we knew that this season was going to go, that P.J. Walker was going to be much better. But I mean he he has like breathed some sort of life into this yeah. offense. I mean 317, you know, a touchdown to pick. He really didn't look good in the first half. I think he had like 55 passing yards in in the first half. Um Deontay Foreman is looking like the fantasy pickup of the season. Uh I don't have him, but I'm just saying that in general. Uh you know, 118 yards, three touchdowns, but he also kind of got shut down in the fourth quarter and in overtime as well. They really put the clamps on him. Uh Terrace Marshall siding four catches, 67 yards. That's uh that's surprising as well. Thank but you, PJ Walker. Yeah, right. But the fact of the matter is the Carolina Panthers should have won this game. And they didn't because of DJ Moore taking his helmet off. And now, granted, I know it's exciting. I get it. You're on a terrible football team. You score a Hail, Hail Mary touchdown. I get it. It's exciting. You have to still remain professional, though, because the game is tied. You did not win the game yet. Didn't win the game. And you know what? With a 35-yard extra point, we've seen time and time again kickers miss a routine extra point for the most part. Well, and, you know, a, what is it? A 30, a 35-yard extra point turned into a 50-yard extra point 
and they missed, and Atlanta went on to win the game in overtime. And, you know, Eddie, even though DJ Moore deserves some of the blame, Eddie Pinheiro, the kicker, the, the extra point is one thing, but he missed a 32-yard attempt at a game-winning field goal yeah, uh, in overtime. Maybe that makes DJ Moore feel better because, you know, if he kicked the extra point from 30, if he can't make it from 32, I don't know if he can make it from 33 where the, the extra point would be. So, well, Eddie Pinheiro was terrible to begin no, with. So. He had two chances to win that game, and the first one's really not on Pinheiro, though a lot of good kickers would have made it from 48. Uh, then Is he gets not? a chance from 32 after C.J. Henderson gets an interception to Mariota. Um, and he can't make that either. So kicking, he, he, it's it's crazy how in this game of, of, you know, the Deontay Foreman's running all over, P.J. Walker's throwing Hail Marys, the Falcons are scoring 34 points. It, it came down to the kicking difference. Young, Young Way Koo was the reason why the Falcons won that game in the end because he could make it from 41 yards and the Panthers just didn't have somebody who could make even a short-range field goal. Uh, so, yeah, they, they should have won that game, the Panthers. Uh, and it's too bad because that would have been the chaos scenario where every team in the NFC South would have been three and five and the Panthers would have been on top. Oh my the God. Panthers because they had, had two win. wins over division rivals. Yeah. Every single one of them, they beat the saints, they oh, beat the right. Buccaneers and they beat the Falcons. They would be three oh and oh against the division. So if it came down to a head to head tiebreaker, they'd have that. If it came down to the entire division, they easily have that because they're undefeated against the, against the division. That's such a weird so thing. That would have been incredible to have them three and five in front of that division. Uh, but it's okay. It's all right because the Falcons at four and four leading the division is still pretty chaotic. <laughs> it's not it something we saw coming. And I, I will say, though, that the, the Bucks are still very much in it. Because they've got that win over Atlanta. They've got the win over the Saints. So they're in second. Uh, they're a game behind the Falcons with the tiebreaker. So they control their own fate the rest of the way. Uh, so, you know, no reason for, for Tom Brady to feel too down yet. Because he's yeah. in that division. I mean, you can give a lot of credit to Marcus Mariota for the way that they've played. But, you know, Arthur Smith and Dean Pease really deserve the most the most credit. Now I know that there hasn't been a, a, an incredible defensive transformation for the Atlanta Falcons, but they get big plays when they need them, and I guess that's really all that you could ask for your defense. And then offensively, I mean, it's really it's really been plug and play for anyone. You, you know, Caleb Hunley, 16 carries, 91 yards. Uh Demir Bird having a, a long touchdown as well, 47-yard touchdown. Kyle Pitts finally kind of sort of getting into the offense. Five catches, 80 yards and a touchdown. I benched him, but I still won that game, so that's fine. Uh, yeah, I played Herb Smith for Kyle Pitts. I should have known better. I don't know about that one. It, the matchup was better. It was Atlanta. It was Arizona with Herb Smith or or Carolina with Pitts. But whatever. I digress. <laughs> I still won that game. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but it's been pretty much plug and play. And it's been like, listen, we're not going to play pretty football, but we're going to be in every single game, and we're going to win some of the games that we probably shouldn't. And sitting at four and four. They got to feel great right now. At any point throughout the season, besides for week one, if you were in first place, you got to feel great for this Atlanta Falcons team. And, uh, you know, at this point, I'm not really looking quarterback in, in the draft. I, I'm not really looking quarterback right now because you know why? They're in a position where you really can't draft a quarterback. Well, I mean, that may be why, yeah. But yeah. It, it's not because of Mariota. I think it's because they, they might end up picking 16th or something like that. Yeah, exactly. But – you know, hats off to them. They've done a great job. But really, my, my two coach of the year candidates so far is, well, three. It's it's Pete Carroll. It's 
Arthur Smith and it's Brian Dayball as yeah. my as my my three so far. I mean, he's done a, a, an exceptional job with a team that arguably had the least amount of talent in the NFL. And uh, one more thing I want to say about this game. This was my lock of the week. And I got to be honest with you. What a call. What a call <laughs> for the lock of the week. I mean, Panthers, <laughs> Panthers plus four. Panthers plus four gets me by the point. You got to love it. And, and, and the best part is I picked the Atlanta Falcons to win in the pick them too. So I went Carolina Panthers plus three, plus four as my lock. And then I still picked the Atlanta Falcons to, to win. But a double win for you. Double win for me, uh, which was fantastic. I know you picked the Atlanta Falcons because we talked. That was so perfect. You text me, you were like, oh, well, you know, I only have one loss. And then when PJ Walker hit the, the Hail Mary, you're like, well, now two. <laughs> but then. Yeah, it was a whole, a whole five minute, well, I guess if you count overtime, 15 minutes of motions. Thinking, yeah, oh, okay, well, now I have another loss on my record because the Panthers. And so, wait a minute. Hold on, not yet. And then the, they get the interception, and it looks like they're going to have an easy win, the Panthers. Uh, then it, once again, hold on. <laughs> and uh, so the Falcons <laughs> got me that win. I, I forget what my record is this week, either 10 and 4, 11 and 3. I'm, I'm 10 and 4 so far this week. But moving on to the next game is the Dallas Cowboys and the Chicago Bears. And all right, hold on to your hats, people. I'm going to get a little crazy here. Justin Fields compliment coming right here. Two Justin Fields compliments coming here. Last week, leading, I mean, that was like a, one of the biggest surprises of the year. The, the Bears thoroughly dominating the Patriots in Foxborough is something that I was not on my bingo card, that's for sure. Um, played great. And you know why? Backhanded compliment coming here. The, the, <laughs> the Bears basically took the ball out of the throwing hand of Justin Fields and said, you know what? Just run. When you want to throw the ball, just run. And it's actually worked out pretty well so far. I mean, granted, they did lose by 20. They gave up 49 points to the Dallas Cowboys. But Justin Fields did not play bad at all. He really didn't. And no, he didn't. That, I mean, if they scored from, 29 points. Even from a throwing standpoint, he didn't right. even play that bad. But you know why? Like, when you run so much, and they do run. I mean, I, I got to pull it up right here. I know that they had an absurd amount of attempts um, running the ball. Uh, hold on. Bear with me for one second. Ah, bear with me. Get it? Uh, that's good. That's good. They rushed the ball 43 times as opposed to – 24 passes, and one of those wasn't from Justin Fields. It was from Trevor Simeon. But they ran it effectively. 43 rushes, 240 yards, two touchdowns. Justin Fields, eight carries, 60 yards. Khalil Herbert, who has taken over David Montgomery, 99 yards and a touchdown. Even Montgomery, 53 yards as well. You know, they're just running the football. And this is extremely surprising to me in general because – this was a team that had a bottom three offensive line at the beginning of the year. And they're playing very, very well, especially, you know, I, I always think that uh, run blocking is harder than pe- than pass blocking. I always, th- I always thought that. And it, I guess it's not holding true because this team, this, this offensive line is playing really, really well being a, a heavy, heavy run team. Yeah. They've kind of started to figure out something that works offensively and you know maybe that's what's helping Justin Fields he doesn't feel the pressure on him anymore um he he is playing better as a passer he's he's throwing the ball better um even with limited weapons I know Nikhil Harry had a touchdown yesterday which is uh 
interesting, not something you'd expect to see. Uh, but he's starting to get some more guys involved. But, yeah, they're running the ball really well. Khalil, Khalil Herbert looks great. Um, that Cowboys defense has been legitimately great this year. Like, I mean, there really hasn't been a slip-up. I think the Eagles scored, what, 23 points against him or 21 or something like yeah. that. The fact that the Bears were able to put 29 on them uh, is impressive. Now, the Bears defense, which has been great, was not so great against the Cowboys, giving up 49 um, I, my, my takeaway from this game is more so about the Cowboys. I think they're the clear number four team in the NFL right now. Yeah. You know, we talk about there's a clear top three, the Bills, the Eagles, and Chiefs in whatever order you want. But the, 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 the number four team looks like the Dallas Cowboys, even though the, the Vikings have a better record and the Giants have the same record. The, yeah, Cowboys, well. the Cowboys have looked – like an elite defensive team. I know yesterday wasn't the best. But they've looked like an elite defensive team. And then they went and scored 49 yesterday. They've got Dak Prescott working again. Uh, they've got a lot of their offense healthy. They don't need Ezekiel Elliott healthy. Tony Pollard looks terrific. Yeah, to, um, to be fair, though, Zeke has actually had a pretty decent year so far. Oh, he has. But, but, yeah. but, you know, when I say that they've got most of their guys healthy, it's not like they're really missing anything with Zeke. But when they have him back, it's always good to have two guys in the backfield yeah. uh, who, who can really run the ball effectively in addition to having Dak Prescott healthy. But, so, but another thing, too, with, with the run game has been amazing. Like you said, Dak Prescott back healthy is great as well. But if you look at these receiving numbers, I mean, you got C.D. Lamb, Dalton Schultz, Michael Gallup, Tony Pollard, Peyton Hendershot, and um, what the hell is this guy's name? Jake Ferguson, right. Jake Ferguson as well. Everyone's getting involved in the offense. They got three legitimate tight ends that can catch the football. Uh, that is something big as well. We know that Dak loves his tight end safety blanket. So you got three guys over the middle that can catch the football. C.D. Lamb is playing probably the best football he's played so far in his career, I would say. And, um, you know, Michael Gallup being back healthy is is a huge thing too. This team's getting healthy at the right time. They're getting in a groove at the right time. Zeke will probably come back next week. Um, I know Mike McCarthy was adamant in saying that Zeke is the starter when he's healthy, but it's really more of a 50-50 split anyway, or more like a 55-45 split. Like, And Pollard is just electric. I feel like every time he touches the ball, something good happens. The guy is just a big play waiting to happen every single time. And, you know, three touchdowns. I mean, there was a lot of guys who had three touchdowns yesterday. Um, yeah, there were a few. Some of them had him uh, through the air and on yeah. the ground and as a receiver. So we'll get to yeah. that game with Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. But stuff. Uh, but yeah, Tony Pollard had um, 147 total yards, three touchdowns. He looked fantastic, and it's a uh, yeah, it's it's looking like the Dallas Cowboys are are scary again. A, a team that we didn't think were going to be as scary is definitely showing up as a scary team. I obviously picked the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I'm sure you did too. Yes, I did. Then, um, all right, listen. Moving on to the Jets and the Patriots. And I got to be honest with you. We took a step back and we took a step back because of Zach Wilson or three steps back. I should say, because every single interception was completely avoidable uh, in every way, shape or form. Listen, Zach, I, I, I have been one of the biggest Zach Wilson apologists that you'll meet this game on Sunday made me love Zach Wilson a little bit less. Because the Jets could have, now granted, the game would have been different if Greg Zerline hit that 46-yard field goal. Would have been a different game. Because now we're not playing for a touchdown, we're playing for a field goal. Totally different game. I get it. 
but you can't rely on that. And yeah, you know, a really bad, soft roughing the passer negated a 86 yard interception return for a touchdown. Yeah, that was pretty soul crushing too, because instead of going into the half 10 6, it would have been 17 3 Jets. You know, that was pretty soul crushing too. But you can't think back on that. You got to think about the mistakes that Zach Wilson made. Now, before half, that interception was atrocious. You're throwing the ball. He had no feet on the ground when he threw the ball. What do you think is going to happen? You, you, you're not planting your foot and you're throwing the ball. It's going to sail. And it was a really bad interception, which then in turn set up the pick six that was negated. But that should have never happened to, in, to begin with. Really, really what I'm saying is Zach Wilson tries to play hero ball when the Jets are down. And it's just... It, it doesn't work. You're not supposed to play hero ball. Even when he tried to throw the ball away, he threw it to McCourty. I mean, how do that? There's no excuse why that throw shouldn't have been hitting the peanut vendor in row 60. You know, it's like, why, why are you even trying to throw it close to the sideline? He started out looking great too. Like he, him and Garrett Wilson had that connection going early on. Garrett Wilson got over a hundred yards either Quick. late in the second, yeah. late in the first half or early in the second half. Um, he just kind of melted down. I mean, it's tough to explain other than he might not be, you know, the quarterback that we all hope he is. Um, obviously, they missed Brees Hall. I, I know the Patriots would have done a nice job of, of stopping the run regardless. Uh, but Michael Carter is not Brees Hall. Um, they missed Elijah Vera Tucker as well. He, he was on pace for probably a Pro Bowl year. Um, and those losses matter. You know, there are not many running back injuries that matter in the NFL, but that one matters with the way yeah. they were playing and the way they ran their offense. Um, they definitely took a step back this week. Um, and it's a really important one too, because now in the AFC, you know, you could have the Bengals win tonight and they can be five and three right there with the Jets. Now the Patriots are four and four, and suddenly you're one game out of last in the division. Uh the Dolphins move to five and three. You know, if we're gonna talk playoffs, the the Jets all of a sudden are at risk, especially if they lose to the Bills next week, which let's be honest, they should. You know, they're at risk of kind of falling out of that picture. Uh, pretty early on when we all thought they, you know, they had a chance to be maybe one of the AFC's better teams. Um, I, I don't know how to, since you talked about the Jets, I figure I'll talk a little bit about the Patriots. I don't really know how to, how to quantify what we're seeing with the Patriots. I don't know how you get blown out by the bears at home when really you should have like every advantage that you can have. And then you go into to New York and beat the Jets. Um, now I picked the Patriots. Yeah, I saw that. But I didn't really pick them based on, like, oh, this is why, because the Patriots are better. It was more like Bill Belichick does not let his team come out and play like that two weeks in a row. Mm -hmm. and I, I still feel that way. I feel like, well, you know, for all the issues the Jets have, it was kind of like destiny that the, the Patriots were never going to come out and play that bad two weeks in a row. You know that they're going to, if they, after they get embarrassed by the Bears, they're going to come out and beat the team that has been their little brother for the last five years. So I'm not too surprised, but um, I, I'm still unsure, I would say, of what, what kind of team the Patriots have here. I don't re I'm not convinced by Mac Jones. I don't think he passes the eye test. Um, you know, maybe you can agree with that. Yeah, uh, the, I, the I definitely, was good I definitely in New England. do. The running game is fine, but, you know, you feel like you need a quarterback at some point, and I'm not sure Mac Jones is that guy. And I don't think Bill Belichick is really too confident in Mac Jones. Um, obviously, that pick six was on him, even though – it ended yeah. up being negated. Right to him. It, it, it was firmly on Mac Jones. So, <laughs> uh, so you know, it, it would, kind of would have been interesting to see if Bill Belichick had something to say about it if they ended up losing that game because of that pick six. Uh, that's not the scenario we have. 
You know, they won, Jets lost. The Patriots are are in playoff contention at four and four. And uh, yeah, we'll see. I think that the jury's out on what kind of team that they have. Yeah, you know, it it just bothers me as a Jet fan because this is a very this was a very winnable football game, even with all the crap that happened throughout the game, it was still a very, very winnable game. So this is just kind of one that you got, you got to kind of just, it's a hard pill to swallow. You just got to move on to the next game. Now the only rebuttal to that is the next game is the Buffalo bills. So that's tough. It would have been a hell of a lot better going into buff going to play Buffalo at six and two than five and three, because now you're going to the bye week probably most likely looking at five and four instead of six and three. So it's, you know, it, it kind of sucks long term, but you just kind of got to deal with it and move on. And to the guys who are saying that, you know, Zach Wilson's not it, all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, you know, he had a, he had a rough game. I, I, I kind of sort of agree with that, too. I, I'm not ruling out the Jets looking for a, a long term answer at quarterback because, you know, I really don't know if this guy is the long term answer at quarterback. He consistently, you know, he makes two good plays and he makes three bad plays. It's it's. He's playing himself out of what it seems to be like what should be his job long term. But it seems like he's sort of kind of playing his way out of that because there are aspects of this Jets team that look like they're playoff ready, especially the defense looks like it's playoff ready. So if Zach Wilson's the reason why they don't make the playoffs, then there's going to be some real concerns. But I did pick the Jets this week because I really thought that the I, the buck was going to stop after this week. I wasn't going to pick the Jets after this week because <laughs> I was going to pick the Bills, but. Uh, I really, really so you're still going to pick the Bills? I'm still going to pick the Bills, okay. yeah. Right. I can't I not pick the Bills. That's just me being a silly fan. If All right. I respect if, it. Yeah. yeah. Then moving on to the next game, I mean, what can you really say other than, you know, this Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown, you know, connection is exactly what we thought it was going to be. Uh, thoroughly dominated the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers are – Quickly looking like one of the worst offensive teams in football. I mean, Najee Harris has been a complete and utter disappointment so far this year. Uh, Kenny Pickett has has not looked great at all. Uh, I don't know if he threw an interception, but I knew before the game his touchdown to interception ratio was two to seven. So I he's. Think, you know, I think he had he had at least one. Yeah, so not great. Uh, this is just a Pittsburgh Steelers team that just seems like they're going to have to take a year to kind of reset because it's just there's a lot of areas that need improvement, but. On the Philadelphia Eagles side, I mean, best team in football, or second best team in football, rather. Best team in the NFC. Uh, and they firmly solidified that again because a lot of questions were being called upon for Jalen Hurts saying, oh, you know, they're six and nobody only has six passing touchdowns. You know, he runs the ball too much. Well, he kind of took that personally and then threw for four touchdowns and looked absolutely fantastic against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So just, uh, you know, the best team in the NFC just keeps rolling. Yeah, I think I, I forget the stat if it was their first three touchdowns or four touchdowns, but none of them were they were they were in never the red, in the red zone. No, never. They, these were from more than 20, 20 yards out. Each of them, uh, AJ Brown looked looked terrific. I mean, you know, that's why Howie Rosen makes those moves. He has transformed the offense, and I know that that you know part of the reason the offense is so uh, efficient is because of the offensive line. Uh, it's because Jalen Hurts too has, has improved. But when you can add a weapon like AJ Brown and force force people to cover him, while also having to deal with uh, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, that that really transforms the offense. Um, 
the Steelers, I all I can think of is everybody who commented on my power ranking saying, well, they can't go 7-10 and 10 because Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. I, not I impossible. I should have had you say that in your voice. In your, uh, in your oh, voice. well, it's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh. I mean that 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 was the idea that 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 they could not have a losing season no matter who's on the team. It was almost like Steelers. I I literally had Steelers fans in the comments saying, "Oh well, I, I kind of I well I pretty much agree with you. I don't think this is a great team, but you know Mike Tomlin he he doesn't lose. He doesn't have those losing seasons." Shut up. No, stop. <laughs> stop. They're two and six. Listen, if they go nine and eight, like I'll come back and and, and issue like a heartfelt. Account. There's no way. But but it's not happening. It's just not happening. They, they're not as good as at any team in their division. They already lost to the one team that's struggling in their division, the Browns. I, I said to people at the beginning of the year, the AFC has a bunch of extremely talented quarterbacks, more so than ever, um, a bunch of great offenses. And to be honest, the offenses haven't been all that we thought they would be. Yeah. But even so, the Steelers are just not on that level. They're, they're not on that level. And their defense, with or without T.J. Watt, it's, it's not good enough to, to, to keep them at that level. Mm-hmm. You, at some point, you need to have a better offense than, you know, uh, you know where does their offense rank in the AFC? 15th, 14th or it's something? Maybe I'll leave them ahead of the Broncos. For sure, yeah. It's, it's toward the bottom. You can't win like that. And they, they just don't have the defensive personnel, even with TJ Watt, uh, to, be, to be a 10-7 and 7 or even 9-8 and 8 team. I know there's going to be some Steelers fans who are going to say, "Oh well, you know, if we had T.J. Watt, we we'd probably be uh, four and four, and we'd be in playoff contention." No, 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 no. no. I, so they're they're what three games out of a playoff spot? I think. I think so. Yeah. With, with nine games left, it's it's looking like the year that we see a losing season in Pittsburgh. Uh, I know you're. I know you're just eating this up right now. It's great. But <laughs> moving on, the next game we have here is the uh, the disappointing Detroit Lions mm-hmm. and the Miami Dolphins. And I'm going to say this now. I'm not so much the Detroit Lions because yes, it was disappointing. They were winning what like 21-7 at one point, yeah. and uh, I I don't think that the Dolphins made the wrong choice at quarterback anymore i really don't i i have turned the tides in what i think i think that tua was a better pick than justin herbert because the guy just he just he's been unstoppable with jalen waddle and tyree kill and mike gusecki and i know it has to do with you know a lot with your weapons but i mean you know on the flip side justin herbert's had some great weapons in his career up until this point and uh he's done a lot he's done bubkiss compared to what Tua has done. I mean, he, what did he throw for another 355 yards or something? Three touchdowns. Granted, it is a Swiss cheese defense for the Detroit Lions. You know, you're going up against a high school defense. But, I mean, he's been great. I think they're, what, 5-0 and with him at, at quarterback this year? When he plays a full game. Yeah, when he plays a full game, they're 5-0. and yeah. Tyreek Hill already, if, if he's not over 1,000 yards this year, he's very, very close to being over 1,000 yards on the season already. Yeah, he's over 900. I mean, it, it's just been uns- – I mean, every week we're, we're seeing insane stat lines from these wide receivers and insane stat lines from from Tua as well. Let me take a look. Actually, I had it I had it open for a second. I wanted to see what his 
stats looked like on the year because I know that they're they're very good. He does not he hasn't really turned the ball over, and that was a big thing too. He hasn't really turned the ball over. But then again, I mean, yeah. he, I guess he really doesn't have to throw the ball very far with those guys because they're both so fast and they could do things after the catch. But where is it? Here it is. Let's see. Tua Tagovailoa. Yeah. 12 touch. Well, I don't think this factored in yesterday, but um, a little under 2,000 yards, 12 touchdowns, three interceptions. And he's also first in QBR as well at 78.8. So that's, a, that's another statistic that. I guess people think are, is important. Uh, <laughs> I don't really put too much stock into that, but he's been playing great. And the Miami Dolphins play great when he's playing. And uh, I think if he could stay healthy the whole season, Miami is one of the better teams in, in the AFC. Well, I, I, I want to say, I do not think that he's the better pick than Justin Herbert. <laughs> um, even with so. all the winning, even with all the winning, it, he just doesn't really pass the same eye test. As Justin Herbert. I don't know, and, but he's winning and Justin Herbert isn't though. Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert has, Justin Herbert has, more, Justin Herbert has a, has a more talented roster on paper than Miami does. All if you count the defense, I count yeah everything. You got to count. But, you know when you, when you take out Rashawn Slater and you take out Keenan Allen, he's really just working with Mike Williams and Austin Eckler. You know, and I know a lot of people are apologists to Justin Herbert. I think Justin Herbert's great, but at one point, at what point in his career are we going to say, all right, he's really got to start stepping up and playing like the elite quarterback that we think he is? Well, he played like an elite quarterback last year. They just didn't win. And this year, he hasn't always played like an elite quarterback, but they got the same record. Yeah, but the fact that they went 9-8 and eight is not is not his fault last year. Like, if you saw what he did against the Raiders. In the- I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> that last game against the Raiders, he was making every fourth down throw imaginable. And the, the defense still managed to blow it. Yeah, and then the next day he was playing golf at Pebble Beach. So the defense was abysmal when they they blew that lead against the Chiefs last year. They couldn't stop anything. Well, the Dolphins' defense is pretty abysmal, and the Dolphins' defense is not abysmal. They they had a tough start yesterday, uh, but they are not (laughs) abysmal. They did not play. They're not great. They are not great, especially against the great against Steelers. I mean. It should be a good unit. Any defense could play good against the Steelers. You just said that they have a terrible offense. They do. They do. Now listen, but they. Well, I mean, <laughs> Kenny Pickett didn't throw for three hundred yards against him like he did against the Bills. Um, no, here's what I'll say. If you watched that game yesterday, and I saw, I didn't see all of it, but I saw some plays. Um, some of the you still had a mixed bag from Tua. Some of those throws involved Tyreek Hill kind of turning around, coming back up and grabbing it out of the air. Like normally, I, normally I'm not the one to blame, you know, to, to say, Oh, well it was a bad throw, but he got bailed out by the receiver. He did get bailed out by Tyreek Hill twice. There were mm. two plays where Tyreek Hill kind of turned around and went up and stopped and grabbed it because it was a little bit underthrown. And um, you know, that's the value of adding somebody like Tyreek Hill. I think you can, you can probably, you can make the case he's the best receiver in football right now. Yeah. He literally was a game-changing force yesterday. It was more than just like, oh, Patrick Mahomes throwing downfield to a wide-open Tyreek Hill. Like, this is Tyreek Hill making game-changing plays by, by himself. himself. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, uh, Tua had a beautiful throw to Jalen Waddle uh, on what turned yeah. into a, a touchdown. I think Waddle might have had two touchdowns. Uh, but on, on one of those touchdowns, it was a beautiful throw. So it's not like he's getting bailed out every five minutes. I think there are still throws where Tyreek Hill is making all the difference. And then there are throws where he looks like a legitimate franchise quarterback. And I think that's what he is. 
So, you know, I, I'm, I'm very excited. We've kind of had a limited sample size. He's played five games this year in full. But when he starts playing some of those primetime games, uh, whether that's in the playoffs or late in the year, I think we're going to find find out who the true two is. But he's clearly going to be their quarterback next year. He's established yeah. himself as, as the guy in Miami, Definitely. at least for, for the foreseeable future. So, you know, I don't think I don't think we're we're at the level where we can say, well, look, good for them for taking him um, over Justin Herbert. Although I think Herbert went before him anyway. I don't think they had a choice, or did they? Did no, he no, Tua, Tua went Tua went at three and Herbert went at six. I think Tua went at five, right? I don't think did he. No, I he went at three. I'm pretty sure. Let me say, what year was that? 2019. I think he went at five. Uh, I, don't, I think you're 2020. wrong. 2020. Let's see. True test here. I don't care about that. Come on. Um. Oops. I am looking at the wrong year. Hold on. <laughs> I know the answer to it, but I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let you get to it. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Let's see. Because I now remember that a certain Jeff Okuda. Jeff Okuda was. Oh, that's right. Well, either way, it doesn't matter because Tua went before yes, Jeff Tua was picked up. first, which sometimes I get that mixed up. Um, but yes, it doesn't look as bad. But part of me is also wondering if this is more like, um, and you know, it, this isn't a bad thing, but if it's more like how at first people were like, how did Luka Doncic get picked after Trey Young in 2018? And then Trey Young kind of came back and he was. They were like, oh, well, okay, they're both all-stars. Like, even though he's not Luka, it's not as bad. I feel like that's kind of going to be the scenario here where it's, you know, yes, Justin Herbert was the better choice, but Tua is not a bad player or anything. He's a fine pick, you know, where you can kind of debate Luka Doncic and Trey Young in the same way. So, yeah. I guess any way you splice it, it just looks like you think you think that Justin Herbert is way better than Tua. So I do think he's better. I think he's a, a more naturally talented quarterback. I think, I think so too. But that doesn't mean that he's that doesn't mean that he's better. I think it does. <laughs> what if he What if he comes out next week and they they're five and three? They have the same record as the Dolphins. Uh you know then. But what? Oh, the Dolphins are on a bye week next week, right? No, they play. Oh, they play the Bears. What if they lose to the oh, Bears? Well, so they're not going to lose to the Bears. Come on <laughs> In now, Chicago. I might pick oh. that. I oh. might pick that just to spite. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> in Chicago. If it was in Foxborough, I'd be worried. But the uh, Chargers are playing in Atlanta, which seems like a, a very losable game. <laughs> I was just going to say it seems like a losable yeah, game. That's the, that's the type of game they'd lose. But we'll see. I'll probably pick the Chargers anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, I have to uh, 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 leave for a few minutes to make a very important phone call. Uh, we're going to get solo Dan Tracy here. So this is his trial to see how he fares by himself. Yeah, I've been I've been stuck with the uh, the bad games. I've been assigned the, the the bad games that nobody really wants to pay attention to. So we're gonna do that. Mister Reporting over there has a call, uh, so hopefully he'll be back soon. But um, the Vikings, the Minnesota Vikings, are six and one, and uh, that's something that I think a lot of people didn't see coming, uh, and even the people who expected. Kevin O'Connell to come out and kind of get off to a a great start with the Vikings probably didn't see a six and one start coming where they they've almost completely ran away with the division. I think they're they're three and a half games up on the Packers now, uh, six and one over three and five. They also have the tiebreaker over Green Bay, which means essentially one more win uh, over the Packers would probably clinch the division because that would give them 
you know, I, I don't know when they play them next, but that would give them even more of an advantage and it would clinch the tiebreaker. So it, the Vikings are, are probably more in control of the division than any team in football, maybe besides the Tennessee Titans down in the AFC South. Um, so there's that. Uh, but yesterday was kind of one of those typical typical Vikings games where they play uh, an opponent that they should be. Um, and then they come out looking like, well, maybe they're not they're not the six and one team that that they that they're supposed to be, but they just play well enough to win. And you know, case in point, they kind of make these mistakes. Like they went up 34-26, and they had a chance to take a two possession lead with the extra point, and they missed the extra point. Greg Joseph comes out and uh, and misses what could have essentially put that game away. And it looked like for a while that the Cardinals had a chance. Uh, to put together one of those eight-point drives that they did against the Raiders um, and that they did against the Eagles and score that two-point conversion uh, and make what shouldn't be a game a game. Uh, but luckily, the, the Vikings defense is able to get a stop and, and put that to rest. Uh, but my take on the on the Vikings continues to be this is a season in which a lot of teams are not passing the eye test. Uh, teams are, are that should be great are not only not playing well enough against bad teams, but they're losing games to bad teams. They're coming out and, and playing teams that they should be, and they're just not showing up. I kind of think of the, the Patriots losing to the uh, to the Bears. Not that they're supposed to be a great team, but the, a team like the Patriots losing to the Bears, where you can't really explain it. That Those are things that shouldn't happen. The Vikings come out, and while they don't look like a team that is as good as their record says they should be, 6-1, and 5-1, and one, whatever, they're at least winning these games. A lot of these teams are not winning these games. So the fact that they're pulling out, um, in some ways, ugly wins uh, instead of bad losses, I think is, is a, a huge step in the right direction. I think that's why they've kind of cemented themselves as, I would say, the number five team in the NFL. We talked a little bit earlier about how one, two, and three is the Bills, Eagles, and Chiefs in whatever order you want. And then the Cowboys are probably number four. Um I think the Eagles, uh, not the Eagles, I think the Vikings are probably solidify themselves at number five until further notice. You know, you can't argue with the, with the wins and losses. They've only lost one game, and it was to the undefeated Eagles. And every, everybody else, well, they haven't really had a convincing win since they beat the Packers in week one. They're just winning. All they do is win, um, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. They've got the whole offense working, too. They've got a lot of guys involved now. It's not just Justin Jefferson which is what it looked like at the beginning of the year. We've got Kirk Cousins playing well, didn't turn the ball over yesterday. Not only did he throw to Jefferson, but I think they had a touchdown. To They got K.J. Osborne involved. They got Adam Thielen involved. Irv Smith is involved. Um, and then Dalvin Cook is running the ball really well. Dalvin Cook had, a, I think, maybe his best game of the season yesterday. So you've got the Vikings kind of clicking on all cylinders offensively. Um, and then you have the Cardinals, who – pretty much look like we expected them to. This is They essentially play the same way they did against New Orleans, where the offense didn't look so bad, the defense didn't look great, um, and they looked like a 3-4, a 3-5 and, four, three and five team. They look like kind of a, a sub-500 team that doesn't belong in a playoff spot. Uh, right now they're third in the oh, – they're, they're last in the NFC West behind the, the Seahawks, 49ers, and Rams. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if it stayed that way. They they just don't look the part. I had them at seven and ten coming into the year. Uh, nothing's really spectacular about that team on either end of the ball. DeAndre Hopkins looks great, which you got to give them some credit for that. DeAndre Hopkins come back with two uh, two hundred yard games after that suspension, and 
he looked like he may have declined a little bit last year. Well, that that may have been more of a fluke than anything because he he's looking like the DeAndre Hopkins of 2020. It's good for the offense. It should allow them to win a couple more games than maybe they would have. But are they a playoff team? It's not looking like it. And that is going to be a problem for Cliff Kingsbury, who at this point is fighting for his job. If they finish 7-10, and 10, I'm not really sure. We talked about this earlier in one of the other episodes. I'm not sure how you can justify not making a big change like that if you regress from last year, which is clearly what's happening. Um, we just mentioned the Cardinals game against the Saints. The Saints look like the team that I expected them to be yesterday against the Raiders. Uh, the Saints came out and beat the Raiders. 24 nothing. This is a team that really had nothing going. Uh, for some reason, they, they couldn't get that defense right. The offense is playing very well with Andy Dalton. And I had kind of advocated for Andy Dalton, even right from the beginning when he made his first start in London. I advocated for Andy Dalton to continue to be the starting quarterback of the Saints over James Winston. Um, and he's, he's only proven me, right, proven me right, but they haven't been able to win until yesterday. Uh, they were they were scoring 25 points in each of his starts, but they were one and three in his four starts. And yesterday, you know, ironically, they come out and score under 25 points for the first time with Dalton. They score 24, and yet they win 24 nothing. Uh, first of all, the offense deserves a lot of credit. Alvin Kamara looked fantastic. This is kind of what I expected coming into the year when I thought Jameis would be the quarterback. You don't need the quarterback to to be the hero. You need Alvin Kamara to kind of carry the offense. Um, and then let the let your talented trio of receivers do the work. Yesterday, Kamara carried the offense. Uh, but Andy Dalton also played really well. He threw, a, I, th- I believe it was two touchdowns, uh, no turnovers after he had three against the Cardinals. And he's doing this without two of his top three receivers. He has Chris Olave in the mix, but no Michael Thomas um, and no Jarvis Landry, who both looked terrific in week one against um, – in week one with James Winston at quarterback. So the fact that Andy Dalton is kind of putting together this stretch without his top receivers, um, without Alvin Kamara until really yesterday when he started playing well again, is a huge sign of things to come. Uh, obviously, the, the Saints are third in the division right now at three and five. They've played their way into that. They should have won some of those games. The games that they lost cost them. But they're not out of it yet. We talked about the NFC South. The Falcons are four and four at the top of it. The Buccaneers have the tiebreaker over them because they beat them. They're also three and five. Uh, but the Saints play all those teams again. They play the Falcons again. They play Tampa again and can control their own fate that way. I, I truly believe that the Saints are a team that can win this division. Um, but it requires health. It, it's going to require Michael Thomas to come back. It's going to require Jarvis Landry to come back. I have no idea what's up with them because they've been day-to-day for almost a month, and they, they just don't play. Uh, they need those guys healthy. But if you have an offense where Andy Dalton's playing well, the offensive line is doing its job. You've now got Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Jarvis Landry. You've got the, these these lesser-named guys that, that Dalton's working in, like uh, Rashid, Rashid Shaheed, who, who had two touchdowns on his first two NFL touches. Um, if, you can get, if you can get all those guys healthy, all of a sudden you've got an arsenal of weapons. Uh, you've got a very talented – Offense all around. Andy Dalton has proven he's good enough if he just avoids turnovers to score some points. Um, and then all of a sudden, your only issue is can you get the defense right? And the defense had some rough days against the Cardinals, rough days against the Seahawks. Uh, but they, they showed out yesterday. They held Derek Carr to 105 yards through the air. 
they look like the unit that we kind of expected them to be on what should have been the defense first team this year. So you look at the, the Saints team. This is the team that can be a, a that can win the division. Can they? Yes. Will they? I'm not sure because of the way that they play themselves into a hole. You know, if they had just won one of those extra games and they were four and four and leading that division or tied for leading the division, I'd say they're the clear favorite, even even with Tom Brady in that division. But uh, they've kind of played themselves into a hole. But I, I think that uh, their win yesterday changes the dynamic of the season. I don't think they'll trade Alvin Kamara. I don't think they'll trade any of their key pieces because why would they? This is a team that can win the that can win the division, or at least stay in contention late into the year. Um, teams that can't win the division: the Raiders. The Raiders cannot win the division. Uh, two and five. They're they're three games behind the Chiefs. Uh, just when you think they're starting to look good again, you start to wonder: well, is it maybe because they just played the the Texans and got a win over them? I know their only other win is over the Broncos, and it was probably closer than they would have hoped. Um, the Raiders just just don't look the part. Derek Carr is not playing as well as he did under under either John Gruden or, or Rich Passaccia. And the fact that Josh McDaniels is brought here to kind of unlock Derek Carr in the offense and he's not doing it is a big concern. Uh, Devontae Adams had, had almost no impact yesterday. With uh, he, he battled what they said was a, a flu-like illness during the week. But he, you know, if he was good enough to play, he should be good enough to have more than five yards. And the fact that he came out and kind of laid that egg is a big concern for the offense because they, Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro are not doing enough to make up for it. And Josh Jacobs has had a nice year too, but he didn't have a great day yesterday either. If you can't get the, the Derek Carr, Devontae Adams connection working, you have nothing. The Raiders don't have anything. They don't have a defense that's impressive enough to carry the load. Um, you can't rely on just, just Josh Jacobs to carry the load offensively. They they have played themselves into a, a serious hole in the AFC. Uh, they're they're near the bottom now with Houston and with Pittsburgh. Uh, until further notice, they're just not a playoff contender. Um, and then speaking of Houston, the Texans yesterday were owned by Derrick Henry yet again. I think it was his fourth consecutive game with 200, 200 rushing yards and more against the Texans, which is unfathomable. I don't even know I don't even know the stats on that, whether it's ever been done before, four consecutive games against one opponent with 200 yards. But the fact that Derrick Henry continues to look like uh, an MVP against the Texans is, is mind-boggling. I know the Texans' run defense is bad, but you would think that they'd come up with some kind of plan for Derrick Henry at this point. But uh, I guess it wasn't too hard to predict yesterday because Malik Willis was the starting quarterback in place of Ryan Tannehill. They were never going to let him throw too much, and lo and behold, they only let him throw 10 passes. Uh, So Malik Willis finished, I believe, 6 for 10 with 55 yards and interception. And Derrick Henry ran the ball 20, 30-something times. I think it might have even been 32 times for 219 yards and two touchdowns. Um. The fact that the Titans can win that game speaks volumes about, one, how good Derrick Henry is, and two, how good their scheme is. The fact that Mike Vrabel can draw that up um, and put together put together an offense where they, they literally just win based on running the ball. Um, that's the reason why they've separated themselves in the AFC South. They've proven me wrong. I really thought this is not their year uh, at all when they lost to the Giants and lost to the Bills way back when. But they've worked. they've won five in a row. 
They're five and two. I, I don't think they've convinced me on offense, but clearly they're better than every other team in the AFC South who, you know, the Jaguars have, have let me down. The, the Colts have no offense. The Texans are abysmal. Uh, this is obviously the Titans division to lose. And look, it looks like they're just going to stick with this. They're going to, even as, as decent as Ryan Tannehill may be, Derrick Henry has four consecutive games of 100 or more rushing yards. I think they figured out that our best bet is to go and try to find the Derrick, try to unlock the Derrick Henry that we had the last two years and see if he can carry the offense. And so far, so good. He's doing exactly that. Now, uh, the, the Texans, the Texans are, are probably the worst team in the NFL. I think they've solidified themselves with that, especially with the way the Panthers have played lately. Um, you know, showing signs of improvement. I think the Texans are, are looking like the most uh, the most incomplete roster in the NFL. They've, they're missing so many things. Obviously, the run defense blew itself up. Um, the secondary is pretty good, but that's really about it. The offense is just not good enough. Davis Mills um, is not is proven he's not the franchise quarterback in Houston. He's a stopgap, and uh, I, I think that the that we're just looking at. It's a matter of what pick do they get in the NFL draft and which quarterback are they going to get. If they can if they can stay at this pace, they're going to be picking number one, and they're going to have their pick of Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or maybe even Will Levis if they want to go that route. Um, but essentially, if they land a top-two pick, I think they have to draft a quarterback. I think they resign themselves to the fact that they're going to draft a quarterback. And the next 10 games, because they've had a bye, there's still 10 games left, are pretty much going to be a matter of draft positioning. I, I don't think it's impossible that they win a few games because of the AFC, AFC South. They, they're going to play the Texans. They play the Colts again, who they tied earlier in the year. Um, they may win a few more games. I don't think they're going to go 1-15-1. But for the Texans right now, it's all about drafting that quarterback. They do not have their, their answer at quarterback right now. And until they do have one, it looks like they're not going to be a competent team. So for them – all about the 2023 draft, and really it's a matter of how many games will they lose uh, before, they, before they're able to turn this thing around. Then this next game was not what we thought it would be a few weeks ago when we, we thought it would be Carson Wentz uh, going up against his own team, facing the guy who replaced him, Matt Ryan, in Indianapolis. And what it ended up being was, as, as we all expected, Sam Ellinger uh, against... Taylor Heineke, which Taylor Heineke is replacing Carson Wentz on an injury basis, maybe even longer after this. Um, and Sam Ellinger is starting in place of Matt Ryan for the rest of the season in Indianapolis. Kind of a, a shocking benching last week. Even with the way Matt Ryan has played, I don't think anybody expected uh, Matt Ryan to, to hit the bench after they, they eight games after his the start of his tenure in Indianapolis. Um, Sam Ellinger was fine. Uh, against the Col- against the commanders in his first start, but he wasn't good enough. He went, at th- I believe, 17 of 23 for 201 yards. Um, the offense still wasn't moving. They ended up with 16 points, scoring a touch th- their first touchdown later in the game. Um, but, you know, to their credit, the defense played very well, and the commanders really didn't have anything going until the final minute of the game. Taylor Heineke looked like he was up against the odds in that in that last minute. He ended up throwing a 33-yard pass to Terry McLaurin, who came down with it at the one-yard line. It was a great moment if you haven't seen it. Terry McLaurin is from Indiana. He, he used to be a Colts fan. He played in Lucas Oil Stadium as a high schooler and in college for a bit. Um, and he was screaming, this is my city, after he made that catch. 
Uh, luckily, unlike TJ Moore, he waited until the commanders took a timeout to take his helmet off. So it wasn't a penalty, and the commanders were able to take it in. I think Heineke took it in himself on that last play the commanders won. Uh, but, you know, Washington, these are still two teams that, that really don't look the part. But like we said earlier, in this unique season, you don't really have to look the part. You just need to win. And the commanders have won. They've won three in a row. They've gone from one and four uh, to four and four. And all of a sudden, I mean, that puts you right in the playoff mix. I think they're just outside of the picture because the 49ers have the tiebreaker over them for that last NFC wildcard spot. Uh, but until further notice, the commanders are in it at four and four. And you would have to imagine that even if Carson Wentz is ready in two or three or four weeks, um, if the trend continues and they, they win a few a few more games or even just one or two, uh, they probably get just going to stick with Taylor Heineke. Uh, instead of going back to Carson Wentz. I, I, I think that Heineke's, even though he hasn't looked terrific, he's played his way into the job so far just by winning. Uh, this is not a situation like in Dallas where even though Cooper Rush was winning, Dak Prescott was obviously the quarterback. Carson Wentz just hasn't proven that. He hasn't looked like a Dak Prescott. Uh, so so Taylor Heineke may be the guy uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, no reason to make a change if they keep winning. And then in Indy, uh, Sam Ellinger is—he was essentially told that he's going to be the quarterback for the rest of the year. So even though it wasn't the best first start, uh, he avoided turnovers, which Matt Ryan has had a lot of issues with this year. And he's going to get the chance over the next—I guess it is—eight games, um, or maybe nine games—to to, to prove himself. And then the the Forty Niners, the Forty Niners are are just utterly dominant against the Rams in the regular season. I really don't even know how to explain it. It reminds me a lot of the, how well the Saints played against Tampa, and then the Buccaneers went and beat them in the playoffs uh, that one time. And then they, the domination just continued by the Saints in the regular season. The 49ers just outclassed the Rams yesterday. They looked like the better team. Uh, this was exactly what they brought Christian McCaffrey in to do. Debo Samuel didn't play. And so they, they relied heavily on Christian McCaffrey, who had close to 150 scrimmage yards. He had a touchdown on the ground. He had a touchdown through the air. Um, he, and he had a touchdown as a passer. He threw a touchdown pass. That was his first touchdown with the Niners. If you can get Christian McCaffrey playing like that on a consistent basis, which he really hasn't done since 2019 with the Panthers, all of a sudden you have a, a genuinely dangerous offense, even with Jimmy Garoppolo, a quarterback. I understand – he limits the offensive ceiling, uh, especially when it comes playoff time. But in the regular season, you feel like they can beat anybody with that defense and all those offensive weapons if they can keep them all healthy. The fact that they went in there and beat the Rams by 17 on the road, although they have a lot of their own fans there in L.A., uh, but on the road uh, without Debo Samuel says a lot a lot about that team. So they're, the 49ers are 4-4. Four and four. They're probably everybody's favorite 4-4 four and four team because they have so much talent on both sides of the ball that it feels like they're going to be in the, in the Super Bowl mix at the end of the year. And even if they're not, you know, how many teams are decisively better than them in the NFC? There's the Eagles. Uh, and then maybe the Cowboys. I, I don't know. I mean, we thought the same thing last year and then the 49ers went and beat them in the playoffs. So maybe just the Eagles. Uh, this could be, a, it could be another NFC title game year for the 49ers. If they could just keep guys healthy. Uh, the Rams, on the other hand, look like a, a complete mess. I mean, they, they just have not solved any of the issues uh, that we've talked about in previous episodes. The offensive line still doesn't look great. Uh, Matthew Stafford, even though he pretty much avoided turnovers um, and look good at the beginning of the game, he can't put a full game together where he looks dominant. Even those wins, he doesn't look dominant. 
Um, and now we've got Cooper Cup with a little bit of, a, of an injury. They say it might have just been a scare. Uh, but that's the last thing they need is a limited Cooper Cup. He's all they have on offense. They, they really don't have an effective running game right now. They haven't been able to find other reliable receivers. Allen Robinson is still not playing like the Allen Robinson that we saw in Chicago. Yeah, it, it, it seems like there's no way out of this. I know me and Pete talked in the past about, well, you know, if they can, if they can maybe trade for an offensive lineman or even sign Andrew Whitworth and go out and get a receiver, all of a sudden a lot of their issues might be solved. Well, the trade deadline is tomorrow. It, it may be today if you're listening to this on Tuesday. Um, it, it, it doesn't look like the reinforcements are coming. And, you know, if you're holding out hope that they'll sign OBJ uh, for the rest of the season, uh, to be honest, one, I don't think he has any reason to play with the Rams. I, I don't think – I think he wants to win another championship. I don't think this is the place where he's going to do it. Uh, and two, clearly that's not going to solve all their issues. They have so many problems on both ends of the ball, uh, starting with the offensive line and, and the running game. It really doesn't look like um, – somebody like Odell Beckham can make that kind of difference. This is much more than just a receiver. Now the Rams are out of a playoff spot heading into week nine. They were in the the seven seed in the NFC last week. Right now they're out of it. They're not only out of it, but they're behind the the commanders as well. So they're sitting right at about ninth or 10th in the NFC. And they're two games behind the Seahawks in the division. Now one game behind the 49ers who have the full tiebreaker because they've beaten them twice this year. The 49ers had the full tiebreak over the Rams. So the path to winning the division is difficult. It's essentially a two-game deficit against against the Niners. And with all the weapons that the 49ers have now, I'm not sure how you make that up when you don't play them again. Um, But it'll be interesting to see if the 49ers can actually pull off that division. I I think we're all kind of still a little skeptical about the Seahawks. I mean, Geno Smith has played tremendously. But, you know, with only one game separating them, and all the weapons that the 49ers have and the experience that that coaching staff has in big games, uh, it feels like the 49ers are, are the rightful favorite in that division. But, you know, switching gears to the Seahawks, uh, they look terrific against the Giants. I mean, the Giants this year have just found ways to win, even if they haven't looked dominant. They just find ways to win. And I think this game showed how much the Seahawks have evolved as the year has gone on. You know, they lost to the Falcons. Not that the Falcons are a bad team, but they lost to the Falcons in Seattle. So you can't pin this win over the Giants on, well, you know, they have such a home field advantage in Seattle with that crowd and the way that stadium is built. No, they just went out and beat the Giants. And to be honest, they, they beat them in a way that I think a lot of people didn't expect. I think a lot if, if they were going to win, a lot of people thought it would be through Kenneth Walker, who's been uh, tremendous on the ground in place of Rashad Penny. He, he's looked like one of the NFL's best running backs for the last – three weeks. And then yesterday he was slowed down a bit. He really didn't have an efficient game against the Giants. Uh, But Geno Smith had that offense moving again. He threw two touchdowns, uh, didn't turn the ball over. He he had a a bunch of passes to both DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. He's been incorporating both of them really better than Russell Wilson did last year. I mean, the fact that they can win with their passing game and they're not just out there relying on Kenneth Walker and, and the defense to take care of it is... Very impressive. And the fact that the defense, which has struggled a lot this year, had, uh, I think they sacked Daniel Jones five times. Uh, and it was, I don't even know if anybody had multiple sacks. I think they just had a bunch of guys contribute with one sack. The fact that they were able to uh, harass Daniel Jones, very similar to how the Cowboys did, uh, is a great sign of things to come. If they can pressure quarterbacks, Gino can play pretty well. Kenneth Walker can can continue to produce. 
you can see a way this team goes 10 and 7 or 9 and 8. And even if they don't win the division, they can keep themselves in contention um, and, and maybe even be a wild card team in what looks like kind of a jumbled mess at the bottom of that wild card race for, for that last spot in the NFC behind the NFC East leaders. Um, you know, I'm not too concerned about the Giants. I mean, they they were never going to go, you know, 8-1, 9-1, 7-1, anything like that. You know, they're a team that is usually – that usually doesn't rely on being better than the other team. They rely on out-coaching the other team. They rely on being smarter than the other team. Uh, and in this case, you know, they, they it's not that they played um, – not that they weren't smart, although they did make a few mistakes. Richie James had a big mistake that cost them. It's not that they weren't smart in general. Uh, this was one of those games where they, you know, they rely on the running game while Saquon Barkley was kind of shut down by the Seahawks. And then, you know, it's tough to rely on Daniel Jones in the passing game. And then it's especially tough uh, when Jones is out there getting sacked five times. You can't have that. It reminds me a lot of the way they played against the, the Cowboys uh, when they lost 23-16 to 16 against Cooper Rush. And it's one of those games where the Giants can – Take the experience and learn from it because they, they it's not that they that they didn't play smart, but there are areas where they definitely need to get better. Um, and they do need to learn how to play well too when Saquon Barkley isn't dominating because those games are gonna come. You know, he's he's an injury risk. Um he's he's had a few games where he's been shut down and then he has one big run at the end. That's a game-changing deal that happened against the Ravens. Um, you know, if you have a game like this where he kind of gets shut down, you gotta be able to try to to try to win. Um and then they, they proved yesterday that they're really not ready for that. Does it mean that they can't do it in the future? You know, the jury's out. We'll see if Daniel Jones can can play up to a level that he hasn't yet in his career. Uh, but, you know, most mostly credit goes to the Seahawks playing a really, really sound game. Uh, and, of course, credit to Pete Carroll for continuing to win with, with or without Russell Wilson. I think it was an interesting, very interesting comment, by if you haven't heard it, by Tyler Lockett in the post-game press conference yesterday saying, you know, it's amazing the things we can accomplish when no one cares who gets the credit. Um, that feels like a shot at Russell Wilson, who, you know, he ne- Lockett never said anything about Wilson on the way out, but in the ESPN report came out in September, kind of with uh, including quotes from anonymous members of the Seahawks front office saying, well, Russell Wilson in 2019 was livid with Pete Carroll because he switched to a run-based offense uh, and he thought it cost him his MVP award. And then in 2020, um, you, they said that uh, people were frustrated that Russell Wilson was throwing these risky throws downfield instead of just taking a few yards and running the ball. Uh, you know, that kind of paint, painted him as a selfish, uh, not not so much of a team-first player. And Tyler Lockett's comments, if you interpret them as directed at Russell Wilson, kind of add some credibility to that, that maybe Russell Wilson wasn't viewed as a team-first player um, and Geno Smith is because Geno Smith has you know, been through the ringer and all he wants to do now is is uh, be grateful he's got the starting job and win some games. You know, maybe maybe the chemistry is just so much better with, with Geno Smith and that maybe the chemistry issue was, was hurting their ceiling with Russell Wilson. I'm sure more will come out after the season. We'll find out. Who knows what, what Tyler Lockett and other members of the Seahawks are going to say about Russell Wilson. But clearly there is some tension there. Um, and that tension might be might be unresolved if uh, if Tyler Lockett's kind of taking veiled shots at, at his former quarterback. Now, uh, the the only other game from Sunday was was really one that it looked like a marquee matchup coming into the year. It really didn't turn out to be anything special, um, which we all expected yesterday. The Bills and the Packers, the Bills are just better. I mean, me and Pete have talked about how the Bills are. We think the Bills are the best team in the NFL, even with that loss on their record. 
Um, they continue to look sound in like in really every facet of the game. I know that they have a, a couple injury issues. They lost Jordan Poyer for a bit yesterday. He's already had one injury this year, so that's a little bit of an issue. Um, but you know, this is a team where the secondary played excellent. I mean, really, what, what was supposed to be an undermanned secondary held Aaron Rodgers to under 100 yards until I think there were 10 minutes left in the game. And that group has Tredavious White coming back as soon as next week. You know, one of the best corners in the NFL, as long as he's playing up to his pre-injury level. Uh, they're going to be adding one of the NFL's better corners to that mix, with that to that secondary that's already been playing tremendously. So they've got that. Uh, they've got the offense. And Josh Allen came out yesterday and he said, well, we didn't really play well in offense. Well, I mean, they scored 27 points. He had a couple late turnovers, and I get that. They didn't really, they didn't really spread the ball around well. Only Stephon Diggs uh, made a big impact through the passing game. But the fact that you can say, well, hey, maybe that wasn't the Bills' best game and maybe they need a, they need a few pieces to come back and they still won comfortably um, says a lot. 27-17 doesn't even really do it justice. I mean, that there was no no stress in that game for the Bills at all. And I my headline on Instagram was that the Bills got an easy win over the Packers and there was some Packers fan in the comments saying easy. Yeah, that was a, it was a 10-point game, 27-17. I think the litmus test for that is, was it ever a stressful game for the Bills? No. Never stressful for the Bills. Maybe when it was 14-7 early in the second quarter, uh, it was never stressful for the Bills. That was a game where uh, they were expected to to take care of Aaron Rodgers and the Packers at home, and they did it. Uh, that's all they needed to do. So not only are they do they have the best record in the AFC at 6-1, and one, but they're one game ahead of everybody else. And then they're the, the Chiefs at 5-2, and two, the, Bills have clinched, of course, because they beat him. They've secured the tiebreaker over the Chiefs if it comes down to that. So really, they've got kind of a, a two-game advantage on everybody else um, in the in the AFC. I guess the Titans are five and two. They're right behind them, and we don't. Oh well, no, you know what? They beat the Titans too. I apologize. They beat the Titans and they beat the Chiefs. So they've got the tiebreaker over the two teams that are one game behind them. So they've got a two-game lead for uh, the number one seed in the AFC, which would give them a bye to the divisional round. And even though we've still got plenty of action left, uh, the Bills still play 10 more games. That's huge to have a, a two-game advantage uh, on on every other team in the AFC and to know that you beat the Chiefs and you already beat the Titans and you don't have to worry about them coming in and stealing that from you. Uh, that's huge. They're, they're as well positioned as any team could hope to be at this stage of the game. Um, you know, just like the Eagles in the NFC where they, they have a one-game lead over the Vikings – uh, but they also have the tiebreaker. So really, it's a two-game lead. Um, you know, moral of the story, at this point, it would might be a mild surprise if anybody but the Bills and Eagles comes in with a bye at the end of the year. It probably would take a quarterback injury for either the Bills or, or Eagles to be knocked off of that, of that post. They're both playing that well. Um, and they've beaten good teams to the point that they've kind of established themselves as the uh, you know the very hard to beat you know even if the other teams are playing at their level even if the Chiefs are playing near the Bills level well now you've got to get two games you've got to get two games on the Bills with ten games left that's tough to do so you know it might end up being listen anything can happen but it might end up being that everybody's just kind of battling it out for seating below those two bye weeks uh, that the Bills and Eagles look like they're going to hold. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, Pete wasn't able to rejoin us. He'll be back next week uh, to break down next week's NFL action. We will also have a World Series winner 
by this time next week, which is a big deal. I think I, I may have been a little premature with my rant about the Astros and how losing a third consecutive World Series would be a stain on the organization. Like I said, they could just come out and, and win three in a row and, and clean up. But I guarantee you I'll, I'll rant a little bit more next week about it if um, if they come out and, and end up losing that series to the Phillies, which I think has a, a really good chance of happening. I think the Phillies are – are a well-balanced team. They're finally playing up to their potential. Rob Thompson's an excellent manager, and uh, and they're giving Philadelphia fans yet another thing to cheer about, along with their Eagles. And uh, even the 76ers and Flyers are starting to play well again. So thanks, everybody. Happy Halloween. Enjoy the week.